What's up, you creepy fucks? Welcome to the Let's Talk Horror podcast with me, BP. I'm excited. Why? It's October. What does that mean? It means that it's the spooky season. Halloween is here. I love Halloween, and I know so many of you out there do as well. So I hope that you're getting all of your amazing decorations up already. If not, soon. I hope you've got your pumpkins ready to scare the shit out of all the kids that come by Halloween night and ready to carve their brains out. The pumpkins, not the kids, you fucking sickos. Stay away from the kids. Don't go near their brains. Just get your pumpkins and and have fun with them. But that's it. You know, it's Halloween. I love it. It's so much fun. That's what I really wanted to do with this month. I I've wanted to do something special for the spooky season for you. So you are getting two episodes instead of the normal the normal one. What I know, it's been mental. Uh, I've worked so hard. I've had to plan a lot in. But I really hope you enjoy the end result. I really hope you enjoy these two episodes. So we are going to be talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street series. But we are only going to be talking about the original seven. We will not be talking about Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, you know what? It's a fun film, but it's not really part of the original seven. And we will definitely not be talking about the Platinum Dunes, Peter Shit remake or reboot, whatever you want to call it. We're not doing that. If you like that film, you know, well done. You did it. Um, but we're not talking about it. We're going to be talking about the original seven. So on part one, we're going to be talking about films one, two, three, and four. And then on part two, which will come out mid-October, we're going to be talking about films five, six, and seven. On part two, we will also be ranking the films in, in our own order, which is going to be interesting, and I'll tell you why. And we're also going to be closing the uh, part two off the same way as we do with most Let's Talk Horror podcasts, where we talk very honestly about how much these films mean to us, how much they mean to you, and how much they mean to the genre, because the Nightmare on Elm Street films, as we know, are iconic and mean a lot to so many people. So when I say we, as always, it means that I have a guest on the show. And that's what I'm really excited about, because when it comes to the rankings, I don't know what his is going to be, and he doesn't know what mine is. So they're either going to be exactly the same or complete fucking way off. Uh, Either way, it's going to be super fun. So on this two episodes, and as I say, I'm very grateful because he's sticking around with me for both part one and part two. We have somebody who absolutely loves this series and will talk and talk and talk about them forever if we could. And uh, luckily, I can talk forever as well. So that's good. We're going to work well together. So on this two episodes, the guest that we have is going to be Scott from You Run Podcast. And not only that, a million other things. He's got uh, the YouTube channel. He's got the True Crime, the You Run True Crime. You've got... The you run horror news as well, isn't it? I believe horror horror movie news. Yeah, got horror movie news, true crime, YouTube, uh, the horror movie review. We, we cover pretty much everything now. Everything, I think. absolutely <laughs> everything. You work a lot harder than what I do, I tell you, and I only do one bloody thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but you do one bloody thing really bloody well. So oh well, don't, thank don't you. Don't knock it. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. So. As I've already said on the intro, we are talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, the series one to seven, the original seven. And uh, I'm so excited about it. Uh, You know, I've already mentioned we're doing part one right now. You've got part two coming out middle of October and uh, they're both going to be absolutely bloody brilliant. I know they are. And I know you're all going to love them. And 
and it, do you know what? It's been an absolute journey going through all these again. And I can't wait to, to get to the end of it and talk about it like in depth and stuff and for people to see and be absolutely fucking shocked about how we rank them. But, <laughs> but I'm so excited about it. But, you know, obviously... Um, we're going to talk about your podcast and everything a little bit more like we always do on the show uh, at the end. I want you to, to you know, talk away and, and, and sell the whole podcast and everything you do as much as you want at the end, because right now we're going to get stuck, stuck into it. We're, we're going to talk about the absolute OG Nightmare on Elm Street, the yeah. legendary, the, the absolute iconic film that started it all. So the film, the original, was released in 1984. Also, Scott, this is probably where I get all this wrong and you'll correct me left, right and centre. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I, I won't do that. I won't do that. So this was released in 1984. It's directed by Wes Craven. I've got that right. Starring Heather. Uh, and also, I am notoriously awful at getting people's names wrong. So if I go through this, uh, they're all going to be wrong mostly. So uh, people know what to expect from now. Um, so it's starring Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson, John Saxon as Donald Thompson, Ronnie Blakely, I think, as Marge Thompson, Amanda Wiss, that's definitely wrong, as Tina Gray. Oh, do you know what? Stu Garcia as Rod Lane. Uh, yeah, you do well. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, I can't get this one. Johnny Depp as Glenn Lance. Uh, Mr. And, Depp. and obviously in his first appearance, Robert Englund as Fred Krueger, or is known in this one as Fred. I've already said that, but Freddy Krueger. But he's known in this one, he says at the start, then it's Fred Krueger. Yeah. The first film in the series, it sits at 7.4 on IMDb and a whopping 95% still on Rotten Tomatoes. So it goes to show how loved this film still is. Yeah, I say anything getting over 60% horror movie-wise on Rotten Tomatoes is almost a miracle. Yeah, you know, like, this is an iconic piece of horror cinema once you get there. And then, obviously, we start with our Google synopsis. I can't do one of these shows without giving, you know, sharing one of these absolute shit shows of Google synopsis. So we've got a young girl realises that she has to stay awake at any cost to avoid the Claude Killer who is butchering her friends one by one in her dreams. There you go. That's all you get from Google. Is that it? That's it. From Nightmare on Elm Street, the, you know, the iconic horror part of the series, that's what you get. A Claude killer. Not even, uh, you, no, that's it. Yeah. Would Would you refer to Freddy as a Claude killer? I will now. <laughs> I think I will now. <laughs> He's like a cat man just going around. <laughs> <laughs> So, so on every um, film that we're going to be talking about, I did did want to mention this, and then I forgot, but I'm going to do it now. We've got our watch through notes. We've got our thoughts on every film that we're discussing, uh, and then I've got some production notes, and then I've got three Freddy facts, and we've got three each. So you get three from me and three from Scott, and we're going to do that for every film we talk about. So for my watch through notes, I'm going to go through them, and then Scott will will go through his. So uh, I got you know basically when i'm watching the film i got straight away the music is iconic um with this being the original nightmare on elm street the music is is iconic you, you never forget that tune uh you know that you hear in these films you never forget it and it is it is to me it's iconic and it, i love the way that it starts 
And also from the start, it already feels like the budget was put to good use and doesn't look cheap. Yeah. And that's one thing the master Wes Craven has been he's done for for his career. Any film you watch, he could have the smallest budget in the world and he will somehow make something look full on Hollywood budget. Yeah. Wes is incredible at stretching money. Yes. And I, I know with this, they had lots of money issues and Wes stretched the tiny amount he had available. Yes. Yeah, he did massively. And it wastes no time into into uh, getting into it with a nightmare. The story starts to suggest more early on uh, when they say the same guy is in both of their dreams. So what I'm getting at there, I think that was I have to decide from my own uh, walkthrough notes. But um, basically, they're, they're discussing that Freddy is in all of their dreams, essentially. And that's when, you know, you start essentially shitting your pants because you're like, how can this happen? This isn't real. This never fucking happens. But yeah. obviously, you know, in horror, it can the film has this has this creepy undertone earlier on, so you know it won't take long for shit to get real. It doesn't yeah. take long to get a quick uh, but iconic bit of cinema and special effects where the shape of Freddy is coming through the wall. I remember this was one of the things when I was younger that it was fucking mental because it blew my mind because I'm like, how did they do that? Because obviously, you know, now, you know, back then they didn't have the CGI and all that to do it. Um, but it was all done by Lycra, I believe, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, yeah, Lycra stretched across the hole in the wall. Um, it wasn't actually Robert England's face either. It was one of the stuntmen. Oh, really? Mm, it was the stunt coordinator who done it. It's insane, and it's so effective and looks amazing. Um, yeah. Because as we know, they did try it in later on in the series in one of the films uh, that we're definitely not going to talk about. Well, I definitely don't <laughs> want to talk about that. <laughs> thank, um, thank God for that. <laughs> but, um, but they tried it in there, CGI'd it, and it looked absolutely shit. Yeah. Random sunglasses bloke. I Oh, yeah, I just put that in there. Um, there's a bloke on the side of the road with sunglasses, and then they you don't hear anything more about him, and I have no idea who he is. No, I, I don't either. I know exactly who you mean as yeah, well. Yeah, it's weird. But There's a decent length of shot on him as well for yeah. no reason. And it, but it never gets explained, no. like in anything. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's really confusing me. Lynn Shea from Insidious, she's the teacher. I noticed that as, as I was coming off. I went, oh, well, yeah, there she is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, the body getting dragged away on its own at the school is so well done and super fucked up. It's another scene in this film that's like iconic and... Uh, it's just scary. It's it's nasty, you know. Wes Craven's really good at doing nasty. <laughs> yeah, he is. He um, is, and and even by this point, they've still not really shown you anything. Yeah, it's exactly. All, it's all like just a little bit. It's enough to make you go, "Oh shit, that's not very nice." Yeah, exactly. And, and then it's gone, and it's back to everything being happy again. Yeah, yeah, back to happy couples. Yeah. Nancy is super clever by waking herself up by burning herself. So I put that in there, I think, because it's sort of where this film is like the first for so many things uh, for horror that, you you know, you'd never really seen that before. And I think that's why I put that in there, because it's so interesting that once again, as we know, Wes Craven being such an intelligent director and filmmaker, it's just such an intelligent way of, of make, waking herself up within this dream, you know, and her having the... Uh, you know, the, the brain power to go, oh, if I burn myself, I'm going to wake up. It, it's just yeah. clever. It's clever. 
uh, I, then I put Nancy's watching Evil Dead, <laughs> she, which, she is, <laughs> which, which she is, and that's absolutely classic. I love how Nancy is super brave in this. No running away. She's like, I'm going to go to sleep and get this motherfucker. Yeah. Um, which which is great. She, you know, she isn't uh, a damsel in distress in any mean in this film. She's uh, very much this guy. I'm going to fuck him up. Yeah, which is is quite a scary attitude. Yeah, have, really. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially for a teenager, like her parents are like shit. <laughs> uh, you say that I've got teenagers, and I think maybe that is just a teenager thing. Yeah, maybe I think it that's is. What, yeah, my boys would be like that as well. Yeah, let's fucking let's let's have this guy. Yeah, do you know what? I miss being a teenager with no fear whatsoever. Yeah, because yeah, now no, now I get up from a chair and feel like I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm glad it's not. I thought it was just me. <laughs> no, it's, it's anyone. It's all of us old people now. I, I love the sticky stairs. Definitely putting that in there. Um, I loved it. And when I was younger, I was convinced it was marshmallows. I don't know why. I just thought it was marshmallows. But obviously it wasn't. You know, I mean, that's probably like quite a nice way of doing it if it was sticky marshmallows. But uh, no, it's not. But I just love the effect of, of the sticky stairs that she goes up. Yeah, it looks brilliant as yeah, well. It and does. It's, this movie's so good at, because it relied so heavily on practical effects. Now we're so much further forward in time. They mm. still look good. Oh, yeah, they look fantastic in this. That's one thing you can't take away from this series is how every how everything looks good. No, it genuinely does. The, the, I'd say, yeah, there is one bit that looks bad. I'll get to it when I do yeah. my run through. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, b- beyond that, everything else is great. Well, we're nearly through mine, luckily. Um, funny thing is that they don't want to fall asleep, but they're always in bed. Um, yes. that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my notes. Don't really get tongue phone, even though it's cool. Nancy isn't asleep. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's one of the things was like, I couldn't figure out if she was asleep at that point or when she had gone to sleep because you've got the phone that turns into the tongue. And I was just like, hang on, when did she fall asleep? Because then I'm like, if she's, if she's not asleep, then how's that happening? Yeah. That is the bit where Freddie hits us with the iconic line of I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so funny, isn't it? I I, I love that line. I think, in this movie, Freddie's one-liners aren't what they became, but I the yes. ones he does hit in this are great. Yeah, they are. They yeah, you know, we've got so much to go through in with these series, and we, I know that we talk about that quite a lot. Yeah, love that she sets up traps, and when she's asleep, she full she full pelts run at at him and tackles him. So yeah, so that I love that it sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier, where she's like got no fear, and like she literally runs at him like this guy who's got fucking. Claw, a clawed hand, as Google <laughs> says. Um, and she's like, I don't give a shit. I'm running. I'm like full on American football tackling him. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. would you do it? Don't do it. Don't do it. I'll be straight out the door. But this is horror. As we know, they never, they don't use doors. No. Um, no. <laughs> so the lighting in Wes Craven's films, like I touched on earlier, is always incredible and actually helps the film look newer and more of a budget than it is. We've already spoken about that, but that was one of my notes as I went through it. I just get astonished every time I see any of his films. Yeah. Freddie's voice in this is so much more sinister. Um, and the fact that he's covered a lot more in darkness is all the more terrifying. Um, that's one of the things I did really notice in this film is that they don't show an awful lot of Freddie uh, without the shadows they do a little bit more later on but so much of it is his face is covered in darkness and they use the shadow yeah. you know they use the uh the shadow from his hat really well 
you don't really see too much of him and that's scarier. Yeah, it is. I've always said every movie I've ever reviewed, the scariest killer is the one you don't see. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then my last uh, watch through note that I had was the ending for me has always been a weak part of the film. So you could completely disagree with me. Um, but for one, why is she still uh, all? Why is she? Is it still? Sorry, all only a dream. And also the fact that that it means that Nancy's mum being dragged through the window door in the last shot of the film makes no sense. Uh, it's just added for shock factor for the audience, which sort of sucks because the film is so different in regards to an intelligent story for horror film that I don't get why they went dumb for the ending. So, yeah, so basically, I think what I was getting out there trying to decipher it is that uh, the ending, they're out of it, but they're not out of it. And uh, and they sort of went for that shock value ending where they pull, it looks like some sort of inflatable sex doll through the window. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that doesn't look great. But it was just, I just, yeah, it was just a bit of a weird ending for me. It didn't, I, I always feel that the ending doesn't match the intelligence of the rest of the movie. I think that's what it is for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that as well. Completely good. agree with that. Good, good. I'm glad you do because I didn't want to upset anyone. <laughs> so that is that's my watch through notes. So um, what's what's yours? What you got? Right. So mine is uh, opens. I, I I write my watch through notes as I always have. I watch it as if I'm a first time watcher, even though I'm not. Yes. Yeah. That's, if, that, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I watch it as if I don't already know where it's going and I still take notes because that's just how I do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my opening notes on this is what is going on because yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm so confused. Where it, The Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and this movie in particular, as it slips from dream to real world, you're kind of like, well, hang on, how, how is that possible? And it takes you a good sort of 15, 20 minutes to go, oh, they're in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's no explanation. Yeah, you're um, right. I love the dynamic of the teens. Uh, yes. jo Johnny Depp for me is an absolute standout. His his character, and I don't know who dressed him for a wardrobe, but his wardrobe is incredible. I'd love to be able to get away and wear what he wears in this movie. So I've actually been trying to find online that top that he wears with the 10 on it. And it's been referenced in so many other films and pop culture since and stuff. Um, but I've actually tried uh, finding it, but you can't find like a proper good one unless it's like a girl's one. Um, yeah, I 100% no. I, I, I agree with you. I think I've got it written down here uh, as well, but I 100% agree with you that, and it's also uh, like, it's not a fact, but I will talk about it because I find this story of Johnny Depp and how he got in this role so interesting. Um, and there's loads of different things out there on how he did it, but I, I, I can I can tell you mine, and it could be completely wrong. Um, but um, but yeah, I'm with you 100. Johnny Depp, bearing in mind this is his first film, he's in all honesty the best one in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He he is. Carry on. Carry on. Sorry. Yeah. No. 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 no I went off fine. on Johnny Depp. Right. <laughs> uh, it's it's easy to do. He's a very easy guy to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That. From here, when we start getting into the real dream sequences, the ones I've got notes are obviously is Johnny Depp's death. I've oh, got yes. incredible that that kill where he gets dragged through the bed and then all of the blood pours out. That is for me. That was the scene that watching this as a teenager, I went, I don't want to go to bed now. 
don't yeah. like this. It's it's iconic. I think the reason I didn't add it in my watch notes, I think it was because I completely forgot I was doing them and was so mesmerized by it because you're exactly right. When you're watching it, you are mesmerized and terrified. Yeah, and Nancy's a shit guard. I would not want yeah. Nancy watching me while I sleep. What on earth did she do? She, yeah. I, I'll keep an eye on you, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. She's out for the count. The bit I don't like in this is where we first, it's not the first time we get to see Freddy, but when we really get a good shot of Freddy and it's the alleyway scene. It's not the long arms, is it? Oh, the yeah, they're long, shit, aren't they? Oh, they're so shit. Yeah. And, I know that they've done it practically and I know how much work they put into it. Yeah. But every time I see it, I was like, it just looks bad. Yeah, it looks, like, it look, looks like he's holding washing lines and just kind of wiggling <laughs> them around. Lines. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's um, or one of those, what those like the grabbers that old people used to have when they couldn't pick something off from the, on the floor and they, yeah, they had the stretchy. Yeah, that's what it was like for me. But I just, even when I was younger, like I'm sure you did as well, and most people who watch this film were like, yeah, that's a bit shit in it. Um, yeah. But I just wish that they'd just gone with him scraping his, you know, his, his metal, uh, you know, hand across the wall or across the metal, you know, and something like more iconic, more scary, more, you know, visceral and stuff and aesthetically pleasing than, as you say, some coat hanger arms. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's the only bit in this movie that I just go, why? Why, Wes? Why yeah, did why? you do that? Yeah. Everything else you nailed and you made Freddy really nasty and scary and then you do this scene where he's got these really long arms and then he does this kind of funny run yeah where he yeah, yeah he <laughs> it is is i don't know it's it's almost like a i don't know like a 1960s bad guy run where he's got his arms out and he i'm kind gonna of get you kid <laughs> very much like that yeah um from here in my notes i've got nancy all of a sudden gets really brave and attacks freddie why yeah. the fuck did she do that yeah yeah so we sort of touched on the same thing but it yeah. is nice to see that we both had the same thoughts of these teenagers are fucking crazy <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know if it's just me if i had something or someone chasing me in a dream my goal would be to get away not to go towards them. yeah exactly exactly I, i'm with you on that yeah, I don't know. I just, I think all my braveness has left me just growing old. So maybe if we'd have done this when we were 18, we would have been like, I'm going to fucking have him. Yeah, if yeah, if I'd have done this when I was 18, like, fuck this guy, I'm going to get him, I'm going to rip his glove off, I'm going to pull his hat off. <laughs> and wedgie him. And wedgie him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've also got in my notes about the colour palette. It's yes. the... The ability Wes Craven has got to use a green floodlight and a red floodlight and all of a sudden make the scariest setting ever. Yeah. Um, and the boiler room in this movie, I've got lots of notes about how the boiler room is genuinely a terrifying place to be. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think this movie nails it so well because I'd never seen a boiler room in a movie before, not no. in a horror setting. And you kind of like, ooh. Yeah, ooh, that's I fucking scary. This is, this is fucking creepy. Cause... I never want to go to a boiler room. <laughs> no, and you, you, you're you're underground and you're trapped in there with Freddie. And I think Robert England in this, his performance is so dark as well. He's yes. really dark with this character. He's not. He he makes a couple of quick one liners, but overall that character is scary. He's scary, Freddie, in this. Yeah, yeah, really scary, really scary. Um, and then I've got in my notes right at the end, what the fuck? That's all I've written. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
the sex doll thing annoys me. Um, yeah. It annoyed me even more when I went and found out why they'd done it. It annoyed me even more. Wes Craven didn't want to, and they made him. Right. Yeah, I did. I did. I'm sure I read something about that. But yeah, they they went and 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 did it or something. And uh, yeah, there was like multiple different ways that they wanted to try and end it. And uh, that's that's what they went with, and they fucked yeah. it up. Apparently, there are six alternative endings that you can find. I've only found four so far. Oh, really? Mm, so there yeah. are diff- different endings. And I'll be honest, all of them are equally as shit as the <laughs> one they use. They just went with the sex doll. Yeah, the sex doll and the, the roof of the car as well. I, I noted on there, Freddy's jumper is now the roof of the car. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and then they just drive away. Well, they don't. You just got the car driving away and you assume that they're all going to die. Yeah, and Nancy banging on the window going, no. (laughs) Yeah, one minute, minute, love, you're brave. Now you can't get out of a car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ten minutes ago, she was ready to rip Freddie limb from limb, and now she's concerned (laughs) because she's locked in a station wagon. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so... um... That's that's basically our walk walkthrough notes. What I've got is is some thoughts on it, uh, which is you know some of them are probably what you've what you uh, sort of talked on talked about already. Um, some of my thoughts that I've got: the death scenes are so inventive, visually beautiful, but incredibly brutal and nasty. Yeah. Uh, then I put the wall walker. I think I was just referencing the the the, um, the deaths that are in it. So the wall walker at the start, which is you know so scary with her going up and up the walls and and everything like that it's just once again it's iconic because you you hadn't seen it before and you're like how did they do it and it's messing with my brain and it's gross you know it's not nice nothing in this film is nice for people no and then the prison hanging is another horrid one and then johnny depp's death uh that we've already touched about that's you know terrifying and iconic at the same time yeah. And uh, and then I put as a side note on that one, I put the best for me uh, that that definitely for me is the best. It is the one that helped start my fascination with special effects in horror films and movies. And how did they achieve these incredible things in horror? Um, and that that's that's true. That's one of the films as well as Evil Dead films. Uh, you know, this film is a standout for me as to the reason of the start of my obsession with horror, not just the films, but the how the fuck did they do it? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's a big obsession of mine is when I used to watch movies that were made in the seventies, eighties and nineties, it was always a, how did they do that? And I feel that's something in modern horror that I, I miss because now I I don't sit there and go, Oh, how did they do that? I now sit there and go, Oh, that CGI was good. Or I go sit there and go, that CGI was shit. I, I missed the, how on earth did they manage to make that happen? And this movie, especially as you say, the wall walker where they, they've got a full rotating room that had never been done before. And things yes. like that, you're like, the effort they put in to make it all practical, make it all look great is just unparalleled. It's so good. Yeah. And like, like we touched on earlier, it's once again, Wes Craven pushing that budget to like you're saying with the wall and how they did it and the revolving room, like, you know, he just, how do they do that on a budget so small? And it's all because he know somehow he knew exactly how to do everything, even though he was still, uh, you know, still new to it all in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's just, I think he's just inventive. Yes. Uh, I think yeah. it was the, you've got eight pound 50 to make this movie. What are you going to do? <laughs> 
that's it. Um, so overall, the story for me is a driving force of this film in regards to the concept of Freddy. And he's up there with something like Candyman as an example that beyond that's beyond scary. Uh, but with Candyman, you can make the choice to not say it. But with The Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy, you don't have the choice because we've all got to sleep sometimes. The genius idea of someone uh, that someone can haunt, hunt and kill you in your dreams is timelessly terrifying. I like that there was a reason Freddy was created rather than him just popping up in dreams to kill. They created this monster. Then I put a little bit about Johnny Depp is the best actor in this, even though it's his first film. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love how in Scream, a Wes Craven film, also, as we know, he's essentially paying homage to his own film when Johnny Depp comes through a window. It's very res- reminiscent of the Sydney and Billy scene in Scream. Yeah. And that's it. That, that's what I've got on my, my thoughts of the film. Yeah. So for, for my thoughts on this, this is one of the earliest films I watched when yeah. I first started watching horror. And this is one that really stuck with me and i'll be honest this one gave me nightmares because of the concept yes the idea that the idea of a michael myers or a a jason Voorhees is really scary but let's be honest getting a car and you're away from them yes the idea that something can come and get you when you're at your most vulnerable and you're asleep and there's nothing you can do about it is genuinely terrifying yeah The, the visual effects especially on how Freddy's looks, his appearance, and then the backstory tying into why he is so disfigured is fabulous. The cast are brilliant. Um, I, I'm going to probably get some hate now, but Heather Langenkamp is the weakest part of the first movie. So I completely agree with you. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, this is this is one of the big things that I'm sort of cautiously going through things because I'm like... There's so much I want to talk about when we get to the end and everything like that. But I, I hundred percent, I agree with you. Um, I, I think that once we get into part three, uh, you know, of, of the films, the series of the films, dream, uh, dream warriors, then we'll talk a little bit more about her then as well, yeah. because I'm not even going to, do you know what? I'm not even going to say it now because people are going to fucking want to murder me for slagging Heather Lang and Cam Bob. <laughs> um, but I, I'm with you. I'm with you with that. Yeah. So she, she was the weakest in this for me, but she is still iconic because yes. she is, she's the only final girl that I've ever seen this in the first movie. Who's really gone for it. Yeah. She's yes. Really yeah. I tell you what, Freddie, I'm going for you now. And you don't get that in any other. No. Slasher. No. In, that's the, it. in the opening movie. Yeah. She's she, she's boss. For me, A Nightmare on Elm Street, this movie in particular, sits so highly in my love of horror. I yeah. it, it's something that I reference every other horror movie against in practical effects. This is sort of for practical effects wise is the benchmark for me. Yes. Um I love this movie. I can't. There's nothing else I can say about it. It's brilliant. Yeah, it is. And I'm with you. You're like, just everything with this film makes sense. It's intelligent. It could have just been that run of the mill slasher where they just got some guy uh, with, uh, you know, a, a clawed hand. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, they could have got this guy who just runs around killing people. But instead of that, you've got an intelligent horror where he's in your dreams trying to kill you, which is a concept that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, You've got an intelligent 
final girl, as you're saying, um, who, well, I wouldn't say necessarily intelligent because she's done because she's running after it, but someone that's so different to what we've experienced before. And to be honest, a lot of the time, what we've still experienced since, yeah. um, you know, she was a different and is a different type of a final girl. And, uh, in, yeah. and, and she's incredible. But then you get the incredible special effects, the incredible look of the film, and you get Freddie being dark you know he has his odd wine one liners and stuff and you get a sense of freddie through those but he's very sinister in this film um but overall it is a film that's iconic because i genuinely feel this one lands the concept of what it's trying to achieve yeah i, I do as well and the other thing i will add on this one is they set up a president for all of the movies that all of the adults in A Nightmare on Elm Street are assholes. <laughs> yeah. Every single yeah. one. All the yeah. parents are horrible. Yeah. The police are horrible. There's not a single adult in this who's nice to a teenager ever. So that, so this is what I'm excited about because there's one. And we get to hit, we get to that later on because yeah. I even wrote a note about it in one of the other. I can't even remember which one it is. We get through it in the notes. But there is one, I think, parent that I was just like, that's a good fucking parent. Yeah, um, but but we get to that one. Maybe we we need to get him a medal for parent of the uh, parent of the year award. Pa- parent of the franchise. Of the franchise, <laughs> yeah, franchise of the year parent award. But yeah, then uh, you know we will then move on to the production notes of the original film. So we've got Wes Craven began writing the screenplay for A Nightmare on Elm Street around 1981. He pitched it to several studios, but each one of them rejected it for different reasons. The first studio to show interest was Walt Disney Productions, that which would have been fucking mental. Although they wanted Craven to tone down the content to make it suitable for children and pre-teens. Craven declined. What a surprise. Yeah, thank God for that. <laughs> Finally, New Line Cinema, who had up, up to that point only distributed films, agreed to produce the film. During filming... Uh, New Line's distribution deal for the film fell through and for two weeks it was unable to pay its cast and crew. I would have gone home. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would have too. <laughs> Although New Line has gone on to make much, uh, make bigger and more profitable films, A Nightmare on Elm Street was its first commercial success and the studios often referred to as the house that Freddy built. David Warner was originally cast to play Freddy. Makeup tests were done, but he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. And you can actually see, I think, online pictures of him with the Freddy makeup is in their tests for him. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, he didn't look too bad. It looked quite creepy, actually. But, uh, you know, now we know Robert Englund as Freddy giving a, a performance because it's not just about him in the makeup. It's the outside performance that he gives as well as Freddy. Yeah. Kane Hodder who would later be best known uh, for playing fellow slasher icon Jason Voorhees, was among those who Wes Craven talked about for the role as Freddy as well. But as we all know, the role ended up, like I said, going to Robert England. Filming began on June 11th, 1984, and lasted a total of 32 days in and around Los Angeles, California. During production, over 500 gallons of fake blood were used for special effects. Which is that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot. Um, The scene where Nancy is attacked by Kruger in a bathtub was accomplished with a special bottomless bathtub. The tub was put in a bathroom set that was built over a swimming pool. 
And I, I did, after I read that, I was, you know, it's once again, it's intuitive and, and them getting the most out of uh, the budget. But then you're yeah. thinking to yourself, he had the budget to go and get a swimming pool to do this. He must be like the best smooth talker <laughs> as ever. Like you imagine him as a phone salesman. He'd probably sell them out the house. You say that though, if someone knocked on my door and said, I'd like to use part of your house for a horror movie, I'll give you 200 pounds. I'll be, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd go straight away. Yeah, no worries. Where, where do you want to film? I'll get out of your way. Um, Craven, oh, this is what you sort of touched on earlier. So Craven originally planned for the film to have a different ending. Nancy kills Kruger by not believing in him, then awakens to discover that everything that happened in the film was an elongated nightmare. However, New Line leader Robert Shea demanded a twist ending in which Kruger disappears and all seems to have been a dream, only for the audience to discover that it was a dream within a dream within a dream, according to Craven. So, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, what you said earlier, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, they went with a sex doll. Um, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when the film was submitted to the Motion Picture Association of America, film rate and system, they required two cuts to grant it an R rating. The theatrical version was released with an R rating with, th with 13 seconds of cuts. Uh, in the United Kingdom, the film was released theatrically on home video, totally uncut. So basically, we like the nasty shit. That's what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, our, our standards are lower. We'll take whatever you've got. We'll have <laughs> it. A Nightmare on Elm Street premiered in the United States with a limited theatrical release on November the 9th, grossing £1,271,000 during its opening weekend. The film was considered an instant commercial success. The film eventually earned a total of £25 million, or over £25 million, at the US and Canadian box office and £57 million worldwide, which is a shitload of money, especially for an independent horror especially all the way back then so it yeah. did it did its job and even more but that's it that's it on terms of production notes that's that's the film um and and for everyone in the series that we go through you're going to get a few production notes uh as well because uh, i know you love them but now we've got three freddy facts each um do you want to do yours or shall i do mine i don't mind uh Go on, I'll let you, you go first. I'll go mine. I'll go. Yours are probably better than mine anyway. So let's have a look. So uh, I've got uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street was inspired by real life events. So Craven decided to make A Nightmare on Elm Street after reading a series of Los Angeles Times articles about a group of teammate, teenage immigrants who, after moving to the US from refugee camps, died in their sleep after suffering from disturbing nightmares, uh, which is real life and terrifying. So that's pretty shit. Yeah, and I didn't think that was real. So Lady Crisis, who you've had on your show, she told me that fact. Oh, really? Like, yeah, absolutely blew my mind. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, and terrifying because then you the problem is, is then it all plants the fucking seeds in your brain, doesn't it? And then you yeah. think to yourself, when I sleep, shit's going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the movie earned its budget back in 72 hours. So the final production budget for A Nightmare on Elm Street was somewhere around 1.8 million which is about what the film grossed in its first three days of a domestic release, which is wow. mental. So it goes to show that that budget that he used so well meant everything because they made a shitload back. Yeah, that, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, it's mad. And for the last one, Freddy's Glove has appeared in other horror films. So he's appeared in Evil Dead 2, Bride of Chucky, and also Friday the 13th, Jason Goes to Hell, where Freddy pulls Jason's mask to hell. 
establishing that they are part of the same horror universe, which is why we got Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's my facts that I've got. What you got? Okay. Um, Heather Langenkamp auditioned against 200 actresses. Jesus um, Christ. T- two of them are huge stars, and I'm amazed they didn't get it. So one of them was Courtney Cox, and the other one was Demi Moore. Blimey. Mm. And, and then she, she got... stole it from them. Yeah. Which is mad, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. Sticking with Heather Langenkamp, her boyfriend at the time um, when they were shooting this, he's credited for creating Freddie's nursery rhyme. Apparently it was something he would sing. Oh, really? When they were filming, yeah. That's mad. Yeah, absolutely crazy. I mean, to come up with that, I think that's he's a very, very clever guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the inspiration, uh, you know, how that sort of inspires everything and has now gone on to be like, I mean, even my daughter walks around singing it because she's trying to freak the fucking freak me out. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's terrifying. And the fact that something like that just came up on set and that's how they did it. It's insane. Yeah. Um, my final fact is a Robert England fact and one that I've heard him say, and I love it. He cut his hand every single time he put the glove on. <laughs> it was razor sharp. Yes. Yeah. I, I did hear that they, um, it was like, a, it was a real glove. It was a real sharp glove that they used and that's got yeah. fucking dangerous yeah well apparently it was the real deal and apparently it was when you put the glove on you need to sort of use your other hand to manipulate it to get your fingers in the right place right and that's where he would cut his thumb or he'd cut the back of his hand or but apparently it was every single time to the point he reached he got a prop guy to put it on for him blimey <laughs> That's that's mad, isn't it? Imagine if he'd have just lost his hand and he was like never coming back. We would never have like Robert England as Freddie again. Yeah, that's that's not a good that's not a good thought. That's not a good thought. That's <laughs> not a good thought. No, especially as uh, you know they tried once and it failed. So <laughs> so um, that's that's the facts. I hope you enjoyed them. It wouldn't be a Let's Talk Horror uh, podcast episode if we didn't have some facts in there because I know how much people love them. Um, The only thing I did want to say, and I mentioned on it earlier, is the whole Johnny Depp thing. And I know there's a few things that sort of go around with how we got the role and that. But I find it really interesting because Johnny Depp is one of my favourite actors ever. And with acting and filmmaking, what I wanted from my life and that, he is uh, an incredibly inspiring actor because of... uh, he he's he's you know where he started with Nightmare on Elm Street and somehow being the best in it from his first film to becoming who he is and everything. So it's interesting. So what I always say is, and from from what I hear, Nicolas Cage is to thank for Johnny Depp being the actor that he is. So Johnny Depp, he used to be in bands. A lot of people know that he was in bands. He loves music, and a lot of times it's his first love, as he always says. But um, he it, basically in America, because it's so vast and so big, um, he was in a band that really did well in sort of his his hometown and so on. And what happens is you start getting a little bit bigger. You move to the next town, you move to the next and you start growing, start growing. But you get to a point where you're either going to sort of make it or break it. And it didn't quite happen. And he didn't know what to do. So at the time, um, I believe it was his girlfriend or, or one of his friends was uh was friends with Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage got the script through for Nightmare on Elm Street. And at that point, Nicolas Cage's career was sort of taking off. Um, so he sort of refused to start looking at it. But he turned around and said to Johnny Depp, have you ever tried acting? And he had said no. And uh, he said, well, you should try this part. And that's 
essentially how it happened. He went in for the role and then basically it was his daughters, uh, Wes Craven's daughters that turned around and said yes to Johnny Depp because they thought he was, you know, the most handsome thing they'd seen. Um, well, to, to, to be fair, they're probably correct. They're probably correct. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So, um, but yeah, so that is sort of as from my understanding and what I've read and what I've known for years, um, the understanding is the reason we have Johnny Depp is because Nicholas Cage. Yeah. And uh, I never knew that. That's awesome. Uh, uh, what, a, what a group of friends. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's it. America, eh? Mm. <laughs> they, they got all the stars. And we get stuck with Roy from EastEnders um, <laughs> <laughs> and Pat Butcher. Um, for for any of the international listeners, Google them. You'll find out who we mean. Yeah, um, go, go, Google Pat Butcher, best earrings in the world. <laughs> and absolute chain smoker. Yeah. Um, so that's it. So that is A Nightmare on Elm Street, the first film. We've done it. We've talked about it. So now we move on to A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So for this, it was released in 1985. It's directed by Jack Shoulder. There's no U in it, but I think that's probably right. Shoulder, something like that. Starring Mark Pan as Jesse Walsh, Kim Myers as Lisa Weber, Robert Rustler as Ron Grady, Clue Galuga as <laughs> Ken Walsh. I'm always going to get that wrong. Hope Lang as Cheryl Walsh. And loads more people, obviously, including Robert Englund, because we know he's in every one. Um, and I'll probably just stop mentioning from now on that he's in the films because we know that he is. Um, no, I, I think you need to mention it every time. Oh, I will, I will do. Don't worry. <laughs> to be fair, it is in my notes every single time. So I will. Um, it sits at 5.4 on IMDb uh, and 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. So definitely a lot different in regards to score than the uh, original but, you know, it is a sequel. So we'll see how it comes out. The Google synopsis for this is Fruity Kruger appears in People's Nightmares, which we've already established from the first one. Uh, when the Walshes move into their into the neighbourhood, Freddie attempts to possess Jesse Walsh's mind and takes, t- takes his help to continue his murder spree. And that's what they put. That's, that's it. That's it. That's Google. Who writes these? Uh, Who at Google writes these? Either... Either some bloke sits there and it's the same guy since like the seventies who's like has a he's who from day one has had enough of his job and just types like little things, or it's just now it's just robots. I, I I'm go I'm going with robots. <laughs> we go with robots. Any, I don't think any real person could write that and go. Yeah. I, I'm happy with that. I'm happy I'm with that. that. I'm that, going to publish that. That's the film. That's the film. Um, and these are my walkthrough notes for Freddy number two. Stupid font for Freddy's Revenge logo. Yeah, that really pissed me off. There was like a weird metal font that they use at the start of the film. Uh, and it just didn't feel like a Nightmare on Elm Street film that, you know, we had seen already. I know it's only the sequel, but it just felt nowhere near reminiscent. The opening scene of this film feels more like a middle scene. That's yeah. what I feel like uh, with this. Uh, you know, it's sort of like quite a quick opening, but it it's just, I don't know, it just didn't fit right for me. And it also does not have the same creepy atmosphere at the start. No. Uh, I love the effect of Freddy showing his brain. That was quite good. Um, And I always shit myself on the snake bit and always forget it happens because I'm scared shitless of snakes. Yeah, I I always forget that bit as well. I'm okay with snakes, but that bit every time is like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah, that's it. There's a load of snakes. 
Um, the friend looks like a young Meryl Streep. Surely not a coincidence. um what the fuck is the bird scene about and it's mental the dad thinks jesse blew the bird up with firecrackers (laughs) tennis balls sound like a gunshot that's what i put that made me laugh yeah for some reason tennis balls they use the uh the sound over top and it's a gunshot i don't know why maybe Um, they just hit them really hard yeah that's it yeah so they break the sound barrier (laughs) um this one feels more of a psychological horror rather than a slasher uh, feels feels like nothing happens for a while. Uh, the hand coming out of skin uh, is awesome. The eye in the bo- in in the mouth, not so much. Uh, yeah, I think that's you fair. know, but yeah, yeah, you know what bit I mean. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> does this film make sense? Question mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> Freddie is the worst at fighting, which, well, to be fair, is something that he established his pretty much in every Nightmare on Elm Street film, that he is awful at fighting. Yeah. Uh, Baby-faced dogs are a bit weird. Um, <laughs> Freddy is defeated by love. When he, when he melted and flopped over, I laughed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it still makes no sense. And guess what? It's all over now. And that's that's my walkthrough notes. So obviously we all assume that everybody here has watched all these films. And I hope you have, because if you haven't, none of these notes make sense. But we're assuming that you have. And if not, we have. And that's all that matters. Um, yeah. But yeah. And that- if, you, if you haven't, I'm pretty sure our run through notes will make people go, what the fuck are they talking about? And they'll go and watch it. <laughs> and they'll go and watch it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's that's my walkthrough notes. Uh, I've got Freddie drives a bus. <laughs> Why is Freddie not burnt? <laughs> yeah, that's my, yeah, my opening yeah. gambit. Why is Freddie not burned? Yeah. Uh, oh wait, we're in a dream. Yeah. Um, Jesse's girlfriend is annoying. <laughs> she, she really irritates me, yeah, and I don't know irritating. why. There's there's just something that just rubs me the wrong way about her. Um, uh, PE teacher is a sex pest and a pervert. Yeah, definitely, definitely both of those. Yeah, and then when you get to the the bit later on where you're in the sex club, I put uh, confirmed is a pervert. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, hundred percent true. Weird dancing, cool though. <laughs> I, I I love that dancing. Yeah, it's just so stupid, but I really like it. I, yeah, that's the tone I like from my nightmare movies. That kind of. Why are you doing this? Oh, yeah. I'll just go with it. It's fine. A bit like uh, Crispin Glover, you know, yeah. <laughs> with his amazing dancing. Freddie likes pool parties. Yeah. Freddie loves a pool party. He loves it. Uh, Freddie kills huge amounts of people at pool party. No one seems bothered. <laughs> no. So he's at this point, he's in the real world and there's lots of people he massacres at that party, but yes. they never really make a point of going... He's just killed eight people. He's he's killed people in the real world. In the real world, but no one no one seems phased by that. No I just found it no. strange. Mark Patton's an excellent actor. Yes. Um yeah. I've I've got that in there multiple times. Final scene, bit weird. Don't understand why he's crispy. Don't understand why <laughs> he kind of come back and then did he die again? What happened? Question mark. <laughs> and then that's that's where I am. The the ending I've just found odd. Yes, is it's a strange one, this, especially for a sequel to a film that did so much and so well, but yet they went so different 
that it that it is that it is quite interesting. Um, my thoughts that I got on the film uh, was double the budget, double the confusion. Um, the the rush sequel fast tracked on the Hollywood train to bang it out uh, and make some bucks. Ultimately, made a mess of a movie that doesn't understand the law of Freddy. Um, which for me, that's sort of how it felt. It, it they didn't understand the intelligence or the concept of Freddy or where they could have gone with Freddy. They just chose something different. There is no real explanation as to how Freddy can be in the real world when people are not dreaming. I could be wrong, but I just couldn't, I didn't understand that. Um, you know, the whole Paul scene is in the real world. I didn't quite understand it, but it could just be me being stupid. No, I, I, I don't think they ever explain it. They kind of hint that he can because there's enough power for him to cross over, but they don't. It's one of those where they go, he's in the real world now. Just just, just, just <laughs> nod and say, go along with it. Just, just say, okay. <laughs> Only three performances are good. Jesse and his mum and England as, as Freddie, as obviously. Um, he's actually pretty sadistic in this film, but not in an overly comedic way. Um, like some of the other entries that we will speak about later. He clearly is trying to get his best to get something out of nothing with this film. That's what it feels like with England. Um, yeah, he he is a bit more comedic and the way he handles sort of pool party things, you know, a bit of a joke and the way he's doing it. But I do feel that England's trying to get his character across more in this than maybe they gave him credit for. It is not scary or creepy at all and does not carry the atmosphere of the first, which is something that I've already mentioned. There is nothing imagery wise that stands out massively apart from a couple of bits in a film where that should be a driving force because we know how iconic pretty much every single scene of the first one is. And it's difficult to keep picking out bits in this that you're like, that's iconic. Uh, yeah. The music, the music does not suit the film, and the Freddy theme is not even there, which pissed me right off. <laughs> um, if this wasn't a Freddy film and it was a straight-up demon possession film that doesn't show the monster uh, that's in the person's mind is taking over to do these things, then I'd watch that film. But it doesn't suit this. Bearing in mind they already had an incredible concept to go from, I've already mentioned it. But yeah, it just you know, if this wasn't a Nightmare on Elm Street film or if they'd handled it differently then yeah maybe it would have felt more along the lines of what it should be for me it didn't deal with the concept well enough and that's my problem with it uh, ultimately an entry to the series that tries something different with a story and a character they don't understand or try to explain where will it rank among the others and that's how i ended it on my thoughts okay this is the first one we're going to disagree on i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is the perfect sequel. I oh. like the fact that they didn't they didn't stick with the tried and tested formula. I like the fact they had the balls to not only try something different, but yeah. to completely change the law. Right, okay. What, what can work in the movie. It left me confused at first, but then fully on board because Jesse, I think, is such a strong character. Yes. I, I would probably argue Jesse is the strongest final boy slash girl in the franchise. Yeah. Um, I wish they'd carried on down this road. I like the idea of Freddy coming into the real world and not just being something that's in your dreams. I like the fact he can do both right. in this. I find there's bits of it that, 
don't work for me. The pool scene being one of them when he is in the real world. Yeah. I like the the kind of seductive nature that Freddie takes in this, where instead of trying to just kill Jesse, he's trying to get Jesse to effectively do his bidding. Yeah, he's trying to like become, lure him in. Yeah. Yeah, and trying to possess him. And and I like that. Visually, I think it's it's great. Um, it's missing a lot of the the colour palette and the tone of the original, but it stands well on its own. Overall, I, I really enjoy it. it. It's not as good as the first one, um, but I, I, I like it. I, I, I really like this movie. Right. I mean, I can't wait for our rankings. This is what makes it brilliant. <laughs> because, yeah. and, and this is what I, and this is our conversation right now is, without going too much into it, is sort of the epitome of horror because everybody watches these films and feels so differently about each yeah. one. Like you've mentioned on obviously on your podcast and we know how much, uh, you know, your co-host loves Halloween four, isn't it? And uh, how, uh, you know, there's been the long ring running discussion about that. And, and it's how, that's what I love about the genre is how differently everyone sees it. There's no yeah. right. There's no wrong. There just is. Um, and the points that you make, make me, you know, think about my points more and whether I'm too harsh on it. Um, yeah, or... and, and the same as when you've said things, I'm going, well, actually, yeah, you, you've got a really valid point there. I think this is what makes horror good is you can have these conversations. You meet the odd one or two fanatics who will not back down and will not yes. give an inch. But yeah. on the whole, I think as the horror community, we're pretty accepting of each yes. other's opinions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is what has been... Uh, you know, so crucial to me wanting to keep doing this and, and continuing to do this is how supportive the community is. And as you know, it is um, that you can have these discussions on my podcast for everyone, whether it's outside the podcast or inside the podcast. I talk about how much I hate Malignant. People are probably switching <laughs> off now because they know how much I fucking hate it. But no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Good. good. Um, but it's but I don't feel at any point I can't say that. And that's what I love about it. So it's, I think it's brilliant that we both have different opinions, but I will say that um, because I have said things uh, about it that are different to your opinions, it doesn't mean uh, that I dislike this movie because I do not dislike this movie. I think it's still a very good film, but we get to that as well when once again when we get to the part two of it and we do the rankings. Yeah. So so now we've got the production notes. So pre-production for a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, two began in night in April nineteen eighty five. A screenwriter Leslie Bowen pitched the producers with his idea of using pregnancy and possession as a plot device for the second film, which would have been weird. Um, yeah. But then also. That crops up a little bit later on anyway, didn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, Robert Shea offered Wes Craven the chance to direct a game, but he turned down the offer since he had many problems with the script. Jack Shoulder, who I keep pronouncing his name wrong properly, who had previously written and directed Alone in the Dark for New Line, was offered to direct. His initial feeling was to turn Robert Shea down, but after realising that A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge could put him on the map as a as a director, he said yes. New okay. Line Cinema uh, originally thought to save money by simply using an unnamed extra in a rubber mask to play Freddy, which is mental. But realising their mistake, the producers quickly brought uh, back England for the rest of the film and series. 
Principal photography commenced in June 1985. Director Jack Shoulder said in an interview he had very little time to prepare and that the movie contained a lot of special effects, none of which he knew how to do. Wow. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a bit mad, isn't it, when you go from that and then you think in the first one, you know, they had less budget and uh, no time and he still managed to put it out the bag. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> where, where's where's Craven for me sits in the same wheelhouse as Toe Pooper. Yeah. If you give them lots of money, yeah. they don't do very well. If you give them a tenner, yeah. they produce absolute gold. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The film opened on 522 screens and varying figures have been reported for its opening weekend. Ultimately, it made 30 million with a budget of three, uh, double what the original got. So it did, obviously, with it being the sequel, it built up that sort of hype. So it did do better, um, you know, obviously, than, than the original, I believe. Yeah. Uh, critical reaction to the film was mixed upon release, with some criticism in comparison to the first of the series. Although praised for its lead performances, like we've mentioned, and use of fantastic special effects, which all the films do, the film was not what was expected and felt that who Freddy is and what he can do was not acknowledged and practically rewritten in a way, just to fit another idea not suited to this, and ultimately a rushed film and experience was born. So that's, you know, a little bit of a review. But, that, I mean, I think they're overly critical. But I think, I mean, in a way, a little bit like me, we were so drawn in by the first film yeah. that you sort of clamour for that. You don't necessarily... It's difficult to think that this is where they got to already in the second of the series. Yeah, it's it, it's such a departure from the original. They literally went, that's the original. We're doing something different and went their own route with it. And yes. some people love it like me and other yes. people were like, why have you done that? Yeah, wow. abso <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so these are my three Freddy facts. Uh, so Brad Pitt and Christian Slater wanted to play Jesse. According to the Never Sleep Again documentary, which is amazing if you haven't seen it, uh, Brad Pitt and Christian Slater auditioned for the role of Jesse, but lost out to Pan. Heather Langenkamp wasn't asked to return. The story references her character on a few occasions since Jesse's family is living in her old house. At one point, Jesse also finds a diary that belonged to Nancy. While the spirit of her character is still there, Langenkamp was never asked to return for the sequel. Langenkamp thinks that the producers might have thought the idea of the Elm Street house was more important than her character. And for the last one, I've got the director didn't like the original, which is probably why he made something completely different. Uh, the yeah. director of Freddy's Revenge actually didn't like it. Jack Shoulder said that the, he wasn't a fan of the original, so he didn't feel as if he needed to follow the template that Craven created. And that's my three. What you got? Okay, um, this is the only film where Freddy kills all of his victims outside of their dreams. Oh, you know, I didn't even know or think about that. So that's interesting. Yeah, um, it's also got the highest body count of any Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Freddy kills 10 people in this. Blimey. M m most of which at the pool scene, to be fair. Yes. Um, I think and they don't give a shit. Drowns one. <laughs> no, so there's a point where the pool's boiling and he's boiling people in the in the pool it's just it's a weird scene yes very very weird scene um this movie features the most racist serial ever created uh it features the fu man chews 
Chinese cereal that comes with chopsticks as a free gift. Didn't even notice that. Um... It is it's horrific. It's right at the opening when they're all having breakfast and you've got a very, very racist, stereotypical Chinese man on the front of the box and the free gift is shot. It's horrific. It's that's, so that's bad. in it? They need to cut it's that shit so, out. It's so bad. And I, I used it as a fact just to show how much times have come on because it's it's shocking. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely Get shocking. Get rid of it. Edit that shit out. Uh, it was one that when I watched it, you know, you, you sit there and you watch something. Uh, I, I paused it and went, did I just actually fucking see yeah. that? Is yeah. that for real? Yeah. Um, it's almost like the... Um, you know how the the guy from Gremlins, the guy who owns Mogwai? Yes. You know how he's yeah. very, very stereotypically yes. portrayed badly? Yes. Um, it's that, but on a cereal box. Unbelievable. It's, it's shocking. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, that, and that, that's, that's, that's my three. And that's your three. Perfect. That's my three. Awesome. Yeah. So obviously then we would move on to the next in the series. So this one is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Released in 1987, directed by Chuck Russell. It stars Craig... I'm going to get all these wrong. Craig Wasson as Dr. Neil Gordon. Patricia Arquette as Kristen Parker. Ken... Jesus Christ. Ken Sagors as Roland Kincaid. I'm going to get all these wrong. Rodney Eastman as Joey Crussell, Crusell. Jennifer Rubin as Taryn White. Bradley Craig as Philip Anderson. Ira Hyden as Will Stanton. Oh. And, and, and in this one, Larry Fishburne, as we all know as Lawrence Fishburne. But in this, he's Larry Fishburne as Max Daniels. With a returning Heather Langenkamp, who reprises her role as Nancy and obviously Robert Englund as Freddie. There yeah. you go, I said it. I said it. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, you need to put it in there. Just, I need to put case, it just in case it, people don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just in case people are like, hang on, was was Robert Englund not in this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee if you didn't say it, someone would message someone you. Someone would do it. That's it. Um, the film stands at 6.6 on IMDb, and this one gets a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. So sort of in between the second and the first. And this is what Google has as a synopsis. The I'm victims. To think. Yeah, I know, that's it. The victims who survived the attack of a dangerous killer, Freddy Krueger, learn to control their dreams and attempt to fight back. I mean, that one's not too bad, to be fair. Is that it? Yeah, I mean, it's short and sweet. I mean, obviously, <laughs> there's so much to this film, but it's sort of like that's the basics. If like a kid watched this film, that they shouldn't, but if they did and wrote it down, that's probably what they write. Um, the synopsis is for this, these this franchise are getting shorter and shorter. For oh, number yeah. four, is it? This is the fourth instalment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the end of it, it just say Freddy Krueger, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> Um, and then these are my watch through notes for um, the third in the series. So um, I put I put who's Larry Fishburne, which obviously we know is Lawrence Fishburne. Fantastic actor. And he's obviously great in this. Uh, once again, they don't want to sleep, but they go to bed. The, the old Elm Street house looks awesome when it's all fucked up. It definitely brings back the creepy vibe big time and it's a lot darker. Yeah. Why, why is it when the girl comes out on the tricycle exp expected to, 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 to I expected her to start saying, do you want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Langenkamp is stunning, but pretty sure a white hair stripe should be on the other side, but I could be wrong. Oh, okay, yeah. So when I was watching it, I'm pretty sure in the first one when she gets it, in the in Dream Warriors, it's the opposite side. Yeah, I, I think it is as well. Good, right. I, over that, I've just got mental. I'm so happy the main theme returns. The whole gobblehead Freddy scene is amazing from the second it starts. So, yeah, you got the giant head that's uh, gobbling Patricia Arquette. But it's just the whole scene, like, before he even comes in, I love how she goes into the room and it's almost that sort of earthquake effect and the walls are sort of crumbling and ripping apart. When it, whenever I watch that scene, I'm like, that's fucking insane. Like, how they did that, it looks incredible. And then, obviously, it gets even better because he's trying to gobble her right up. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he looks great as well. Yes, they did such an amazing job. Will Stanton has the biggest glasses ever made. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are big glasses. Um, but, you know, it was the 80s, so we let him get away with it. Them playing Wizard Master reminds me of Stranger Things. And is that something maybe an influence? Possibly. Possibly. They did, they did draw a lot of influences on so many different things. Yeah, especially season four. It oh, is effectively yeah. a nightmare reboot. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they've just done right. The human puppet scene is so, so nasty and haunts me to this day. To be honest, it is one of the most horrible and saddest death scenes I've ever seen. And it's nasty to look at and shows how sadistic Freddy really can be. Um, I won't talk too much about it because obviously we've got our rankings and how we feel about these films and stuff. But it is absolutely fucking horrible this scene yeah it is um it is it's to me this is like one of the epitomes of freddy at his nastiest yeah and it again visually stunning yes, so. absolutely visually stunning it goes from a very sinister death to a proper iconic and comical one prime time bitch um, so yeah you go from that's what's interesting you go from like that scene that death scene where it's so horrid and tough to watch and so sad to something quite comical <laughs> yeah uh you know i don't know whether it's just me but i can't help but laugh at that no i, I yeah the, the this movie's something else it's a completely different tone to everything before it yeah that's it um the nun looks like the nun from the nun but in white <laughs> um, expanding on the mythos of Freddy by explaining his past but do we need to know so yeah they're sort of getting into the explanation of who Freddy was who Freddy is but sometimes the less you know is better um, but that, I don't know I, I wrote that but then you know the problem is with Freddy is that especially later on in some of the other films they do a reasonably clever way of trying to explain certain ways so it sort of makes sense yeah I've seen this so many times but from the first time I ever uh, first time I never expected to see Nancy's dad but he would definitely fuck up the doc in real life <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I love that they all go into the dream world together and how each character has three own little dreams, uh, their, their own little dream scene. Some die, some don't. But it's entertaining and interesting to be in Freddy's world and see what power he has. And this is something, obviously, that started really with Dream Warriors is entering Freddy's world, which is what sets this film apart from the first one by doing something different, but so interesting 
but it's also something that you want. You want yeah. to be in his, you know, not that you want to be in his world, especially not in real life, but you want to be in his world to explore it, to understand it a bit um, and to see sort of how fucked up it is. Yeah, and it, it's a great, I, I like the dream world in this. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, like this, the sets are fantastic, which is another thing I wrote and mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, how is Freddie in the real world in the scene where he fucks up Nancy's dad? Um, oh, that's the bit where they're in the junkyard, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I still don't quite understand how he's there because that's the real world. They're not dreaming. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think that's, for me, that was the only bit that they kind of took from two. Right, they okay. Borrowed, they, they borrowed the ability to do that, I think, from yeah. the second movie. Because it's, yeah, it just confused me. But I'm easily confused. So I'm sure people out there will be able to explain it to me. And I'll go, oh, yeah, I am an idiot. Nancy dying, big spoiler if you haven't seen it, but Nancy dying still gets you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's sort of a brave decision to do, um, you know, bringing back the sort of OG uh, final girl and then killing her. Um, you know, it's a big decision to make, but if it's going to be a decision, yeah, brave decision. But I suppose if, if they were going to do it in any of the films, it was going to be this one um, because it it makes sense. You didn't want it to be in one of the film where she just turns up at the start and then just dies in a dream. She, you know, her importance to the series is, is more than that. So the fact that she's actually a real character in this film um, and gets to be that character and then, you know, does die, but at least she's she's there for long enough. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and then the last thing I got for my walkthrough notes is uh, weird ending. You found out Nut the Nun is Freddie's mum, and then the light goes out in a toy house thing, and that's it. Yeah, that's that's what I got for my walkthrough notes. What have you got for for your walkthrough? Uh, okay, so I've got Morpheus is here, <laughs> uh, um, uh, followed by Where's Jesse? What's going on? <laughs> Um, oh, Nancy's back. Never mind. There I literally wrote Nancy's back. I don't care now. <laughs> it's irrelevant now. <laughs> yeah, Nancy's exactly. I, I really like Jesse. I wish he was here. No, scrap that. Don't yeah, worry. No, n- never mind. Nancy's back. It's fine. <laughs> um, Nancy's boss is a pervert, almost as much of a pervert as the teacher in number two. <laughs> he is a big perv. He's uh, just one of those that's like trying to hide it. But, you know, deep down, he's a big perv. Whereas uh, the I'm other just... one can't hide it <laughs> yeah i just found it strange so yeah. like, she's like an intern and he's like the big boss he's like oh yeah so should we go for dinner yeah no leave the young girl alone you <laughs> creepy creepy man <laughs> creepy man that's it get out um, of my mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> um nancy knows more than the doctor the doctor won't listen <laughs> Um, that's when she's trying to get them all to take hypnosil. And he's like, that's no, it. no, no, you, you can't do that. That's um, it. Lots of group therapy sessions, followed by the horror version of the Avengers. <laughs> it is, yeah, way better. Uh, yeah, much, much better. I would like to see these in an, I'd love to see these in an Avengers-style movie. Oh, yeah, With definitely. their powers. Freddy is incredibly nasty. Yes. And I'm referring to the... Yeah. The, the, the scene. Yes. Um, Best one-liner in the entire series. Welcome to prime time, bitch. But precedes that with, Jennifer, it's time for your big break on TV. (laughs) It's the best kill in this movie for me. It's so good. And again, the visual effects of the head coming out of the TV uh, done 
in the same way they achieved it with the wall in the first one. It's a, a silicon mould that he pushes his head through and then they cut and then they put his head actually in there. It's, it's so good. It looks yeah. brilliant. I like the fact they all go in to fight him. Yes, that's it's so cool. Uh, King Cade is a budget Mr. T. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. The only thing he's missing is at no point does he say, I pity the fool. Yeah, or ask for a glass of milk. Or, or complain about getting on a plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. But I love him. I absolutely love him. I love he's... I love all the characters in this. Um, you know, I love... It's like almost like where we mentioned Stranger Things a little bit. Uh, the character that I always forget his name with the giant glasses. Um, he would do so well in something like Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, you know, playing his Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. It's just a fully fleshed film with with true characters that work really yeah. well. Yeah, they, they really are. Um, Taryn has the worst powers of anyone ever. She's bad and nasty. That's it. <laughs> yeah. well, she's bad and beautiful. Yeah, that's it. Now, that's her power. Bad and beautiful. Just being her bad powers... and beautiful. Yeah. Will just is Harry Potter. That's where Harry Potter come from. J.K. Rowling saw this, and that's why Willie. That's why Harry Potter exists. That's it. She was just like this film. I love it. Harry Potter millions. Yeah, I, I love it. In fact, I just love that character there with the wand. I'm going to take him. Forget everyone else. I just want that guy. That's it. Um, brilliant ending. Love the fact that it's they actually kill Freddy, and you understand that Freddy is now gone. I like. Yes. I saw this when I first watched this. Obviously, I didn't know there was going to be a fourth one, but I watched this and I saw this as a conclusion. I yeah. saw this. This was it finished. Yeah. Um, and I liked the way they ended it. Um, Nancy dying was a shock, but in my head, because this was the last movie, it made sense. Yes. Um, and yeah, that's what I've got for mine. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's. It's really interesting, this film, because uh, I'll go into my thoughts as well. But this film is visually stunning, which we know from, to be fair, from it's not giving anything away, but from every film in this series, we know that they're visually stunning. They're visually really nice. Uh, but this film is, is no exception. It feels like that they understand what Freddy is in this film and expands on it and feels like a natural evolution of the story in this one. Um, yes, it's different to what the first one was and the second one. And in this one, we start understanding the dream world a little bit more and we and we venture into it. But it's a welcome sort of change, you know, and, and a welcome evolution to the story. The, the performances are really good. And I'm going to say it, but unfortunately, apart from Heather Langenkamp, who is just not good at all. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I I mean, she's she's better in this than she is in. Do you know what? I don't even know. I'm going to say it. I don't. That's a lie. I'm lying to myself. I think she's probably it, it, she suits the first one more. But the set this one, as gorgeous as she is, there's just something about her in this. It just doesn't suit it. I just don't know whether she's on par with the rest of them in it. I don't know. I, I just think she lucked out with the first one and then came back. But I could be wrong, and I know everyone's going to hate me for it, but I love her still. Yeah, um, I do. I, I, she's better in this one, I think. Yeah. Um, the set design and all the special effects are amazing with a lot of standout scenes, as we've already mentioned. Uh, never really liked the ending. I always expect more. But then also I do what you said about it, closing and essentially being you know this is the end of of freddie and this is how it's gonna 
you know, this is how it's going to end and there will be no more, so to speak. What you're saying makes sense. Um, and it sort of helps me understand it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, that that's how I viewed it, because I, I kind of I watch every movie not expecting a sequel. Yeah. So number two, I was a bit kind of, oh, is that the end? And then when I watched number three, I was like, oh, OK, no, that's the end. That's that the makes end. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wish we were in the dream world longer and more weird shit happened before some characters were killed off too quick. I think that was one of my uh, only things with this is that, I mean, you know, you've got the running time of the film to think about, but you spend so much time with these characters beforehand that when they go into the dream world, it's almost like they're in it, they're who they want to be, but then they die. Yeah. Um, And I just don't feel that you really spend enough time in the dream world or with those characters I just think it's a you just don't really want this film to end. And then when it does, obviously, you know, it ends and then you, you're sort of like sad about it, really. Um, <laughs> so um, there are so many layers to this film, but never feels crowded. Freddie is, like we've mentioned, absolutely fucking sadistic in this. Yeah. And the last thing I've got is has the incredibly dark undertone of, as we know, teen suicide. But I don't feel like they made it offensive. It was just part of the story and Freddie preying on the potentially weak minded or ones that he's made that way. And we know obviously he's come, you know, Freddie preys on. I think the first film is one of the films that they're not characters that are sort of you know weakened mentally in terms of it they are just sort of standard normal teenagers you know yeah um but from the second one you know that's when he starts preying on people who might have difficulties in life or difficulty with uh you know mental issues and so on uh as we know with you know with jesse and so on and, and anything that he might be trying to hide and trying to push that out of him and in this film he's doing that to everyone you know they are all people that have uh issues and and problems that they're trying to deal with and freddie is coming after them uh purposely because he can and it's an easier way of him getting what he wants getting those souls it's it's very very dark undertone this film but yeah it's it's a it's a big one it's a good one yeah what have you got on your thoughts yeah but for me this is one of the pinnacles of this franchise the the tone that they take with it again is a big departure from what they done in the second one and in the first one uh they go full balls to the wall let's make this funny yeah and then they follow with that they follow a gag with something that's so horrific you go oh my god yes and it's so hard to tread that fine line of comedy and horror and i think this movie nails it perfectly yeah Yeah. um character wise the the idea of everyone having different powers and kincaid is one of my favorites where he's super strong yes Um, i'm not a big fan of will i'm not a big fan of wizardry wizardry no it doesn't doesn't really do it for me uh taron again i'm a bit like your, your power's just a bit crap um i really 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 like the fact that heather lang and camps come back as kind of almost like a mentor to them yes she's like professor xavier very much so she's (laughs) like i i I, there's even a bit where she basically says look i've done this shit before if you listen to me we'll be fine yeah yeah you won't die and i really like that yeah sort of you you won't die but i might yeah Um, the only thing i don't like about this movie is the nun and it's the the storyline with the nun 
I, I get it. They want to give Freddie a bit of a back plot. Yeah. But he kind of he already had a backstory yeah. and they've they've got even more into his backstory. And I, I didn't really care what all I care is that he got burnt by the family. He's now vengeful and wants to kill teens. That's yeah. that's all I need in a slasher. I don't need to know that he's actually the the product of a thousand rapists and murderers. I, I don't care. And yeah. I know that sounds really horrible, but I genuinely don't. Overall, this movie for me is great. It looks great. The acting's brilliant pretty yes. much across the board. Uh, Robert England, I think this is his strongest performance as Freddy. Yeah. His one-liners and his, his dark tones, everything just hits perfectly. Uh, and I think this is the best-looking Freddy as well. Yeah, I, I when I was watching it and, and obviously watching them all over... Um like I've already mentioned, they're all visually great, but I can, I think, and also what I find interesting is that you can see the different directors and their styles throughout all of them. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's definitely up there. Um, you know, the more you think about, that's the thing about any of these series, the more you think about it, so much can change that then you, one of the one minute, that one's your number one. And then the next minute, something else is your number one. Yeah, um, but I'm with you on that. I think it, it takes a lot of. Do you know what? It, this will be a journey through these two episodes. You know, I've already got my ranking down, but there will always be little things that change. So I'm going to still, I'm still thinking in my head is is number three visually my number one. It might not be the number one, but is it my visually my number one? Because it's so like even even in my head now, I've got that scene that we've spoken quite a bit about with yeah. uh you know the 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 veins and and that, that what he's trying to do. Just that shot of him coming down the corridor, you know, and it's not hiding anything and it's got all of it coming out. And you're not only Yes, visually, does it look very nice? And you can take the, uh, you know, you can understand the accomplishment of what they did and, you know, how amazing it looked in regards to special effects. Yeah. But it's so horrible and nasty that it's the epitome of of special effects and story making coming together. It's so scary, so nasty, so vicious, that scene, that it is that even though the original had so many iconic ones, this one scene in this film is the one that always gets me. Because, yeah. it's so, because ultimately it is so sad. Yeah, it, it's horrifically sad. And I think this one, because he's preying on people who've got mental health issues and there is yeah. that suicidal tone underneath yeah. it, some of these people, are, they're ready to die anyway. And then yes. Freddie just comes and helps them along. Yeah, it's a really dark tone to take, but they handle it in a very delicate way. Yeah, yeah. There's not not at any point do you feel that it's uh, could could potentially cause offence. Um, if any offence is made, it's it's through the horror. Like so many people can be offended by you know the horror genre or things that happened in 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 horror and in these films. That's what people I feel if they're watching this could be offended by by just yeah. not liking horror. But I don't think anyone really can say. And if they do, that's fine. But I don't think really anybody can be offended by the way they approach the characters and their mental state. I don't think they could do that in this. I think, no. as you say, they handled it really well. Yeah, I think they did. Unfortunately, though, the the world is very easy to offend, I found. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
I, I've discovered that a lot on, especially on TikTok. I've discovered TikTok's very easy to upset. They're very woke over there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is fun, though. If, if you post anything that's just slightly edgy or give any kind of opinion that people might dislike, it's like a free-for-all. It's, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> that's it. Um, thought. Have you got any more thoughts? No, I think I've covered everything... I think I've covered everything I can say on this without yes. giving away my, any of my rankings. Well, that's it. That's it. That's it. I know we're sort of treading on eggshells as we sort of yeah. go along because we don't want to give anything away. Um, so we, we move on to the production info for this one. So following the critical failure, which unfortunately it sort of was uh, for of Nightmare on Elm Street to Freddy's Revenge, uh, New Line Cinema was unsure if they would continue with the series. Wes Craven co-wrote the screenplay for the third instalment with the intention that it would end the series. Very similar to to what you said. Now, I had to add this, but it's pretty insane. But before it was decided what script would be used for the film's story, both John Saxon and Robert Englund both wrote their own scripts for the third Nightmare on Elm Street film. That's cool. Which is cool and insane because obviously... You know, John Saxon just played Nancy's dad and they're like, you can do a screenplay for it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, In Saxon's script called How the Nightmare on Elm Street All Began, uh, which would have been a prequel story, Freddy would ultimately turn out to have been innocent or at least set up for the murders by Charles Manson. Wow. So that's what John Saxon's story would have been for the third film. Um, who, along with his followers, this is going back to Charles Manson bit. Who, along with his followers, would have been in the ma- would have been the main culprit of the murders. Freddie would uh, would be forced by the mob of angry parents to make a confession of this crime of these crimes, which would enrage them further. After murder, uh, after murdering Freddie, he comes back to avenge his wrongful death by targeting the parents' children, and that's what his would have been. So basically, Charles Manson did it, and. Uh, they Freddy blame it on Freddy. Yeah, that's that, cool. That, that's it. Um, in England's treatment, called Freddy's Funhouse, Tina Gray's older sister ends up coming back to Springwood to investigate how she died. In the script, Freddy had claimed Elm Street House for his own dream world, setting up booby traps like Nancy did against him. The original idea for the film centered around the kids separately traveling to a specific location to die by suicide, um, which is um, that that's pretty sad. I think that would have taken yeah. the tone uh, in the way that we were mentioning. Um, yeah, that would have that, taken that, it too that, dark. It's a lot less delicate than what yes. they done. Yeah. Uh, later, it would be discovered that the common link between them uh, was that they dreamed of Freddy Krueger. So that would be the common link between between their them and their suicides. It was noted that this script was a lot darker than what we finally got in a different story for part three, which we've both just mentioned. Uh, for marketing the, the film, New Line Cinema's distributing partner, Media Home Entertainment, recorded a promo reel with Robert England as Freddie advertised in the VHS release of the film. Um, the film had a budget of four million. The film was released theatrically in the United States by New Line Cinema in February 1987, and it made 44 million at the domestic box office. So once again, it did really well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's solid. Yes. Ten, t- 10 times what you put in. Yeah, exactly. Um, upon release, the reviews were very mixed. A lot of critics praised the special effects and the fresh vibe 
where a lot didn't appreciate Freddie becoming more of a comedic element in this film, more so than the others making him less scary, which I don't agree with. I can see because so many hold on to the darkness of the first one. Yeah. But then, like we've mentioned, this there's so many nasty things in it that the comedic side of it just comes from his character of of who Robert Englund has sort of understands who Freddie is now in this film. I think this is the film where he really sort of understands what he's made to do for Freddie. Yeah, um, I, I think this is the one where Robert Englund went, this is what the character is. Yes, yeah, so over the years, though especially in the horror community, this has become a fan favourite and it's easy to see why. And and that's it in regards to product production notes. And yeah, it is easy to see why um, this would be up there in people's rankings. You know, I yeah. won't say whether it's in there with mine. It could be near the top, could be right at the bottom. But it's uh, but it's it's a, it, once again, what I will say about all of these entries into the series is that they're all interesting, and that's that's what makes it so intriguing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I'd agree with that. Three Freddy facts that I've got. So all of the budget went on the special effects, which isn't surprising. When it came to A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, New Line Cinema decided to give most of the budget of the film to special effects department. Uh, And it shows because it looks absolutely stunning, this film. Yeah. Uh, One of the most famous lines wasn't scripted. The classic line, welcome to primetime, bitch, was not scripted, but rather something that England came up with on his own. And I think it's sort of like what we just mentioned. It's the epitome of, of, of an actor understanding that character. And like we said, I think that this is the film where he found it properly. Yeah, could, um, could you imagine they could have cut that? Yeah, yeah, they could have done. They <laughs> That's could have terrifying. Done. Yeah, if they'd have gone for, you know, the death before where it was so dark and that, if they just kept it as dark and sinister as that throughout the whole film, then, yeah, they wouldn't have had that line. It would just be no head go through and probably blood spewing out. But instead, yeah. you get that iconic that iconic line. Uh, and then the last one, I, I put that Jennifer Rubin actually stabbed Robert Englund. So when Eng- England and Rubin were filming her death scene, Rubin got a bit too into her part and actually stabbed Robert Englund with the knife. Luckily, huh. the, luckily, the knife was a prop knife, but getting stabbed in the ribs still probably wasn't a pleasant experience for England. Wow, that's yes. awesome. So so stay away from her. <laughs> yeah. Or she'll get you. Um, yeah. What, what you got for your free facts? Uh, well, I'm actually going to start with Taryn as well. So the actress who plays Taryn, Jennifer Rubin, she's had some of her fans come to them, uh, come to her and say because of her part as Taryn and her battle with drug addiction, her character actually helped them kick their drug addiction, which, which is I think is awesome. incredible. And once again, isn't this sort of a, like, you know, I'll, I'll show you, from horror um you know we have I, i've spoken about the psychological side of horror before on the podcast on well one of my really early episodes and um what i love about when you hear stories like that is that you know so many people are trying shroud this genre in darkness and how it's all a bad thing and it shows and depicts nasty things happening and people shouldn't watch it. But then, like you just said, you've got people who are dealing with addiction, dealing with mental health issues and watching these films and it's like medicine for them. 
Yeah. Uh, that's that's what's so interesting about the psychological impact of horror. Uh, and I find it absolutely fascinating. And uh, it's a lovely thing to hear that that, that people, probably me, especially as, a, as an actress or an actor out there, if you're portraying a character that has that impact on somebody's life, um, yes. then then what incredible what, yeah is yeah and what an incredible feeling for her to know that she helped someone effectively she saved someone's life by playing a character in a movie which is insane right yeah absolutely fantastic um the original idea for this or wes craven's original idea for this was freddie invading the real world and attacking a movie set all about freddie Oh, I wonder where I've heard that before. It was hand <laughs> by the studio, so New Line hated it and put their foot down and said, Wes, you can't make that. Um, it was then obviously shelved and it come back full circle and it was the last Nightmare movie that Wes made was what he wanted to do in part three. Interesting, eh? Which uh, I love the fact that he had that idea in his head so strong that yeah. so much, so many years later he still went, that's still the movie I want to make. You yeah. know, back in three, yeah. I still want to make that movie. And I'm going I, I, to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my final fact for this, I think is brilliant. And I've seen Robert England talk about this as well. And it's so funny when he tells it. So on the set of this, Robert England worked long hours. Um, he went back to his, his dressing room and he fell asleep in full <laughs> Freddy, Freddy gear. Uh, when he woke up, he opened his eyes and looked in the mirror and proceeded to fall off the chair as he panicked and didn't realise he was still in the makeup. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that would be terrifying, right? Yeah, especially if you wake up and you you kind of that half asleep and you think you've taken your makeup off and then you open your, yeah, I think I'd have panicked as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Like full on heart attack. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm still ready. I'm still ready. I'm in the dream world and it's real. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that, that's my three facts for this one. Perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Dream Warriors, you know, some to some people, depends how you look at it, it this, this might have been uh, like yourself, you know, you, you saw it as sort of like a conclusion to the series, even though obviously we, we know we get more because we're going to talk about more. Um, some people saw it as like the, the reinvention of the series, where it tried something once again different, but, you know, did it succeed more than where two went? Um, you know, do people... Or is it ranked? Do we rank it or do other people rank it higher than the first one? Um, I know I've spoken to people before that actually do. So it'd be interesting to see where where we speak about this one. But obviously now we move on to the last one we're going to speak about on part four. Uh, part one, sorry, we're not on part four. Uh, but we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about part four of the series, uh, which is A Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master. So this one released in 1988, Danny, uh, directed by Rennie Harlan, another different director for a film in the series, starring Lisa Wilcox as Alice Johnson, Danny Hassel as Dan Jordan, Tuesday Night as Kristen Parker. What a name. She's got a daughter, uh, a daughter now called Wednesday, probably. Um, <laughs> but she takes over the role uh, from Patricia Arquette. Brooke oh, Thies, Thies, don't even know, as Debbie Stevens. Uh, Ken Sagos as Ro Roland Kincaid, obviously returning from Nightmare on Elm Street. And we also have Rodney Eastman as Joey Crusoe, also returning from Nightmare on Elm Street. 
And as usual, loads of others, including, guess what? Robert Englund as hey. Freddy Krueger. He's in this one as well. He's in this one. Surprisingly, he's in this one. Uh, this one is rated at 5.6 on IMDb and 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. So the Google synopsis for this one. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So Freddy Krueger returns in Kristen's dreams and persuades her to summon a friend, Alice, who is drawn into Kristen's dream wakes up to realise that Kristen is in danger. That's it. Really? Yeah, that's it. That's all you get from Google. That's not even a synopsis of the first 10 minutes. No, literally, that's like, (laughs) yeah, that's nothing, isn't it? That's That's like the opening lines of the film. Yeah. That'll do. They are are getting worse. (laughs) They're getting worse. They're getting worse. By the time Dream Child comes, it just be, there's a child and a dream. (laughs) The end. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Robert Englund's in this one. (laughs) <laughs> and that's it <laughs> so these are my watch through uh notes for dream master so um starts a mean as a means to go on with the pop song opening creeper factor zero uh yeah. wish we're, yeah, it's not creepy at all it's gone no. full mtv um wish the cast and crew right uh crew writing was not annoyingly uh, going over what's happening oh yeah i remember i sat there and got really annoyed because you've got everything that's going on and it's sort of you know showing this and showing that but you've still got across the screen everyone that's in the film massively across the screen and i was getting annoyed i'm like i want to see what's going on yeah get out of the way uh i just all i put on this one was giant hair they've got huh. giant hair they have um we don't say that don't mean dick enough uh, i'm definitely going to bring that back more that's a very good point. I, I could use that yeah. every single day of my life quite yeah. comfortably. That, that don't mean dick. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> it works with so much. And uh, I think we need to start some sort of petition to to, to get that going around. That is 100% going in the story as we do the build up to this episode. And yeah. I'm going to try it tomorrow at work and I'll let you know how I get on. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know. By part two, I want, I want a spy frequently saying, that don't mean dick. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what is the karate scene all about? Uh, he's also the worst nunchucker ever. Yeah. Um, I like how the Alice character is already going mental and she knows nothing of Freddy yet. The call through back to the Dream Warriors in the junkyard, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Freddy's reforming was super rad until they added a stupid comical sound as his eyes pop back. So they like <laughs> everything was really cool. And then when his eyes get there, like, and just make a really weird boop, like sound, like it was really like, once again, it was just, it was fucking stupid. How's this for a wet dream is bloody funny. <laughs> and to be fair, <laughs> that death is visually well done, albeit too quick. Yeah. The, rep- the replacement for, P- for Patricia Arquette uh, as Kristen is not good. You might disagree with me, um, but Patricia Arquette is, is very good in Dream Warriors. And, you know, the replacement Person. for her, is, <laughs> yeah, he's not very good. Um, no. But that's my opinion. Uh, over top bedroom shot of Kristen panicking is very nice, but a dream sequence makes no sense because she wakes up in a dream which she would know she's in and as she's aware of what's going on, but seems to pretty be pretty happy sunbathing and shark Freddy sucks. So yeah, that, that one confused me because yeah, she would, she's in a dream. She would know she's in a dream, but yet she's still sort of sunbathing, but she would know about Freddy. 
Yeah, she'd know not to be sunbathing. Yeah, yeah, she'd be sitting there like, you know, like they would have done in the other films previously. She would have been sunbathing and then, you know, but Freddie would have made her do that, you know what I mean? And then she'd be like, what the fuck's going on? Instead, she's lapping up the sun. Maybe she, maybe, well, maybe she had no holiday in a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the vacation in Freddie's dreams, in Freddie's yeah. nightmare, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nancy Thompson's grave, grave makes an appearance. I actually like Rick, the boyfriend, bro, uh, boyfriend, brother character. He's he's for once a nice character. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if he was a boyfriend or brother. So at that point, I just wrote boyfriend or brother. But whoever <laughs> he is, I quite like him. Yeah, um, hopefully they're not, those characters are not yeah. interchangeable. He's not the boyfriend <laughs> and the brother. No, hopefully not. Um, the classroom scene shows the nasty and creepy side of Freddy. That's one of the very few in this, maybe. Uh, invisible Freddy karate fight is fucking stupid and kills off the only really decent character. Uh, cinema scene is clever and more Freddy not being overly stupid is a good thing. Uh, and it's yeah. nice that for once it's not a dude working out and she tries so hard but gets the most fucked up thing happen to her when it when when uh, Freddy snaps her arms, but then it gets weird with bug arms. Jeff Goldblum, she is not. <laughs> um <laughs> that's i mean that's messed up i mean as i said well done for 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 them you know putting out in the world that you know women like to go to the gym as well and i'm i'm you know once again this films is really good at pushing those those boundaries that may or may not be you know something especially in the 80s where people can and can't do this and cannot be this and can't do that you know, the, the Elm Street series has been really good at pushing that envelope, haven't they, and saying, yeah, well, no, people can do what the fuck they want. And this character does that. But unfortunately, she meets her demise in, uh, in a fucking gross way. Horrible way. Horrible way. And incredibly inventive as well. Yeah, and looks great. That yeah. The bit where the, the arms snap, I yes. think every time anyone watches it, every they go, time. oh, yeah, oh that's no, it. no, no. Yeah. Uh, the dream loop idea uh, is a cool idea. That's all I put for that. Um, and the car getting fucked up around Freddy is nice. Yeah. Uh, final fight is pretty sweet. Nice looking. Um, and the souls being set free is a cool idea. Yeah. Um, and then the ending is interesting because it doesn't really set anything up for another film. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was my watch through notes. Okay. Um, yeah. My watch through notes are, um, who's this? That's- <laughs> That's not Kristen. Who is this? Why? What? That's not Kristen. Kristen? No. That's no. Not no. That's not her. Um, <laughs> the cast change here really wound me up. Yeah. I not even a little bit to like every time she spoke, I'm going, "You're not Kristen. I don't like <laughs> you." I, I I think because the actress they chose, without meaning to be horrible to her, she's just not very good. No. And coming off the back of Patricia Arquette, she's yeah. kind of like. Every time she speaks, you kind of go, meh. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, she's also a really bad friend. The bit where she pulls <laughs> Kincaid and um, Joey into her dream is like, yeah. And even Kincaid tackles it straight away. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, he I does. I was happy sleeping. What? I don't want to be here. Yeah. Why am I in your dream? Yeah, leave me alone. Um, I've got in there that uh, Kristen and Alice are equally as mental as each other. Um, uh, Alice is confused by everything really all the time 
yeah. at no point does she grasp anything until the closing scenes. That's pretty much her character in this, yeah. She's really like, oh, there's dreams? You can dream? <laughs> she's just she's an odd character. Um, Freddie is just silly throughout. Yeah. Uh, at no point did Freddie make me go, oh, you're not very nice here. He was just odd. Yeah. Um, the... The bit, the arm break scene is in my notes because that's just like, oh, that's so good. And it yeah. looked great. And then they followed it with the weird bug scene and Freddie picking up the whole thing and like squishing it. I just, I didn't get it. Yeah. I just, I, I just didn't buy into it as much as I bought into the others. Um, the end, well, no, before we get to the end fight scene, there's the fight scene where I've got in my notes, could they not afford Robert England for this scene? <laughs> Was he not available? No. Um, and then I'm jumping straight to the end fight scene where I've gone, this is something like the Power Rangers. Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit like that, isn't it? Very much so. Uh, there was a point where I half expected Freddy to grow really big and burst out of the church. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's a strange bit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the souls and the visual effects on Freddy's chest, awesome. Yes. Absolutely brilliant. And I wish that's something they had had throughout. Yeah. I like the idea that he's trapping the souls yes. and then they're releasing them. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, again, another big departure from the previous movie. Yeah, it's it's mad, isn't it? Every time you watch, I suppose that's one thing you can say about it is that it's so, if you've never seen these films and somebody's like, oh, I fancy watching them. You can literally say they are so unpredictable that you never know what that person's going to expect. Every no. film is different. And uh, this film, like you say, is no exception. Um, no, I think for me, coming into this one, I was I was happy with where Dream Warriors got to and how Freddie was. I was happy with that. Yeah. And I went into this expecting that, but amped up a little bit. Yeah. And what I got was... Not what Not I that. expected. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that there's a dog that pisses that brings Freddy back to life. Yeah, yeah. It's, Who it's, wrote that? I know. There's some. There's some weird things happening. There's some weird choices uh, in this film. And fun fact: that dog looks like my dog. Oh, well, there you go. Claim yeah. to fame for your dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. His, his, his doppelgangers in in a Nightmare on Elm Street four. <laughs> Right, uh, move on to my thoughts for uh, the fourth film in the series. So, unfortunately, this film uh, is definitely a product of the 80s, where including pop music rather than going for a creepy score was favoured and does hurt the film for it. And this was also the start for what I call MTV Freddy. Yeah. Um, the film is quite slow uh, in pace, but yet quite a, but quite a bit happens. It feels longer than an hour and 30. I don't know whether some of that is, is, is sometimes boredom sets in when you watch some films and stuff. I don't know. But I always feel that this film feels longer than what it is. Um, yeah. But I'm still undecided whether that's a good or a bad thing. I don't know yet. Um, uh, has some really decent ideas, like the dream loop sequence I mentioned earlier, where Freddy is not letting them try, them try and save their friend. Um, I really like that sort of scene. I think that's quite clever because they're going back and forth, back and forth until they realise, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, and I think this movie is the first one out of all of them that actually tries to incorporate things that actually happen in your dreams. Yes. So they've done it in the first one with the sticky staircase, that yeah. kind of 
being stuck and can't get in a way. But this one, they take it to another level and they try and incorporate things that you do have in your dream. So you will have a dream where you do the same thing again yeah. and again. It's like Groundhog Day. And I like that they've done that. Yes. I just don't just don't think they've done it very well. No, that's it. It's like a good idea. Maybe not. It could have been executed better. Yeah. Um, the characters are likable in this and not absolute douchebags. Uh, and you don't actually want most of them to die, which makes it worse knowing that they will. Obviously, as we established, apart from Patricia Arquette's replacement. Yeah. Um, the effects are really good, but this could just be more. Uh, but I wanted more of them, but I could be asking for too much. So, yeah, I felt that this film, it, it took a little bit of a back burner on the special effects, rather, you know, than what we got. But then we obviously we just came off you know, Dream Warriors, which was so special effects heavy. And obviously even the original, you know, had so many iconic sort of stuff and that, uh, you know, scenes and special effects. But this one felt, for me, felt that it lacked it, um, which is what you don't really want from a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. I, I really like how they really show in this that I think more than the others so far, Freddy's powers in the dream world, but he still sucks big time in a fist fight. That's what I put. Yeah. Um, this is also the start of Freddy becoming the star of the show, even more so with even more one-liners. I don't mind it in this because it's not annoyingly stupid. It's not too bad. It's just mostly funny. But what this does is take away from how scary Freddy actually can be and how scary the concept of who he is and what he can do. The film has some very inventive moments and weirdly feels like a standalone to me if you take away the story brought over from the previous film's characters. This is an interesting one, and that's how I ended my thoughts. Okay. What um, you got? My thoughts on this, this is the wheels have fallen off the Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street franchise. Um, this is the Freddy show, and yeah. they've taken all the bits of Freddy that I dislike uh, well, no, not dislike. Dislike is strong. They've taken all the bits that I least like about Freddy and amped them all up to yeah, a million. That's and become all the, the bits, forefront, yeah. Yeah, and all the bits I really like about Freddy, they're still there, but they've dialed them right back. And yeah. they've made Freddy... Freddy's almost become a caricature character in this. Yeah. Um, he, he's so overblown and over the top in everything he does. Yeah. Um, the bit where they do the fight when Freddy's not there... At that point, I think for me, I was kind of out. I was kind of like, this is dumb now. Yeah. It's, it's gone beyond being a bit different. And this is just a guy who's holding a, a Freddy glove on a broomstick and wailing it around for them then to cut the broom out. Yeah. Um, overall, the movie's okay. Um, visually, nowhere near as good as the others, I don't think. Um, the only thing I like about this is they've they've really brought back the the aesthetic of what they had in the first one. So yes. in the the dream world, you've got these reds and greens again, and you've got that that the the color palette and the tone is correct. It's just everything else around it just misses for me. Yeah. Um, Alice, I think, is the worst written character in the history of any franchise ever. I hate <laughs> her with a passion. And the recasting choices, I think, are dismal. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan. I don't know if that come across in my, <laughs> my thoughts on this. Uh, there are some incredible 
practical effects. The um, the car stopping. Yeah. Where it hit. So the car hits Freddy yeah. and then the car folds around it. Yeah, it looks that amazing. Incredible. And still to this day, I do not know how they've done it. It's no. so oh. good. Yeah, I, I mentioned that as well because it, it, is, it is. You're right. It's, it's like one of those moments when you're watching films and like your brain almost stops because yeah. you're like that's fucking amazing uh especially when you're watching films that you know that you're sort of like you might begin getting pissed off at <laughs> so or like you know or you're like what's going on um but then sometimes you get the moment that sort of takes you out of it and you're like wow that's that's amazing how the fuck did they do that and it brings back that wonder of of horror again yeah, and there's a couple of moments like that, like the arm breaking scene. That yes. looks like a yeah. wow, that's so good. And then they follow it with her turning into a cockroach. Just like, yeah. but you just done that so well. Why <laughs> did you now do that? Yeah, why? Quit while you're ahead. Yeah, you, you've done something really good, and every horror fan who sat in the cinema watching this or sat watching it at home has gone, "That's brilliant." Yeah, and then you followed it with like this, I don't know, those prosthetic bug arms are literally just like stuck to her. And she kind of like waddles down the corridor. It's like, oh no, <laughs> why, why have you gone that way? Why, why didn't you just let Freddie continue to push the bar and like fold her in half? And we'd have all gone, yeah, well done, bravo. That's we a, like that, that. Yeah, that's a good one. They, <laughs> yeah, made, it, they uh, made it worse. Uh, but yeah, no, this this one for me is it's it's it's. I'm not going to say where it ranks, um, but it's not it's not for me. This one, it's not done well. <laughs> no. <laughs> So production info for this one, what I've got is the franchise uh, originator, Wes Craven, obviously we know who that is. Um, he presented his own pitch for the fourth uh, Elm Street film, but producers uh, Sarah Rischel, Reicher and Robert Shea turned it down, instead going with the Dream Master pitch as the progression of the Dream Warriors concept from the previous film. So yeah, they started trying to go with that Dream Warrior-esque direction, yeah, but then as we've both just both said, they probably didn't do a very good job of it. Um, <laughs> even though no director was attached, the film somehow uh, had already started filming until Rennie Harlan came on board and wanted to continue with the Dream Warriors story rather than go back to the roots and go full horror. Um, I, I love that. I love the fact that New Line just went, "Look, we're making it. Just, just, just start. Don't worry, we'll get yeah, you a yeah. director." Yeah, exactly. That's Come, coming soon. That, yeah. Crazy. That is insane. He believed that Freddie was the star of the show, even more so now, and that he was being rooted for, not against. And that's sort of the opposite of, for me, of the, the Freddie character, isn't it? He's, uh, you know, he, he obviously just didn't get him. For me, that, that's, that's, the, that's a director that doesn't understand what, you're, what you've got. Yeah. Um, the yeah. role of Kristen Parker, portrayed by Patricia Arquette in... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 had to be recast for the film due to Patricia Arquette not happy with the label of horror and fought against it and wanted to pursue more dramatically challenging roles in serious films, hence why it, it was played uh, by a different actress, um, which is obviously, as we've both said, is an absolute shame because I think Patricia Arquette suited Dream Warriors really well, suits this style of, of sort of horror and she is another sort of a strong character that Nightmare on Elm Street does so well. And as you rightly said, they did the absolute fucking opposite with her. Yeah, I, I think for me, I'd rather they had just 
gone a different direction and just forgotten that character had yeah. they because they couldn't get her back. I wish they'd just gone. Well, let's not worry about her. We've got Kincaid back. We've got Joey back. Let's focus on a story centered around them. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, running from March the 7th to August the 7th in 1988, the Writers Guild of America went on strike, forcing Harling and the producers to improvise much during filming. Lisa Wilcox and Adras Jones wrote their own dialogue for Alice and Rick. So there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that could have been, you know, it's difficult to say that, it, you know, this film could have been any different, but it, there's no reason to say that it couldn't be because obviously they had a lot going on uh, behind the scenes that really could have affected it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it could have been vastly different. Yeah. Yeah, it, definitely. It's one of those movies that a couple of different choices and it would have been so different. Yeah. Just, just a couple. We're not talking big choices, just a couple of little tweaks. Yeah. And, definitely. and it would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, it will. I, I agree. Um, the film had a budget of six point five million, and the film was released on August nineteenth, nineteen eighty eight, and it made forty nine million at the box office, making it the third most successful Nightmare on Elm Street movie to date. So it still made bank. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, th I think that's just the. Nightmare on Elm Street logo and the word Robert England. I think it always <laughs> make. If they released, if they released a a, a ten minute video tomorrow of yeah. Robert England in Freddy makeup, just talking, it would be a huge smash. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, the critics' reviews, as usual, were mixed but interesting. Some not liking it as Freddy has completely become something else and more of a mascot to root for. Uh, unlike the sadistic monster of the first, with the character at some points more comical than scary, but other loved it, saying that they are no longer they no longer care for what Freddy was, but for what Freddy has become, and turn, basically turning Hollywood uh, into horrorwood. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Um, as he as he <laughs> is as he is now the star of the show that people come to see, and as usual, they also praise the special effects. The film also, like the third, had a soundtrack featuring artists rather than just score, creating extra publicity and more money. And that's what I've got for production facts. In this film, I sort of, you know, read it there. But yeah, it's and as you said it, um, Freddie in this one becomes almost, I don't want to say the hero, but you know what I mean? He's no longer, he doesn't feel like the villain in this one. He feels like you're just watching somebody do some nasty things to people, but it's quite funny. Yeah, um, and the, the crazy thing is, at the same time in the real world, Robert England and that character had become, they were everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. He, he was he was on chat shows dressed as Freddie. He was on award shows giving out Oscars as Freddie. He was, yeah. it, that character was so ingrained in pop culture, you couldn't go anywhere without... Everyone knew who he was, even if they weren't old enough to know, to watch the movies. Yeah. But everyone knew the name Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it's mad because Freddy Krueger, not Robert Englund, became a global phenomenon. Mm. Um, and that must have been so difficult for Englund. But then at the same time, I think to myself, but how difficult? Because he's getting absolute serious money for it. So <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, this, this film, for me, creates that different Freddy that you know 
a lot of people associate with Freddie now, but then they took away what he was. Yeah. So now, yeah, on to the three Freddie facts that I've got for for the fourth entry into the series. Uh, England's dentures fell into Troy Newkirk's mouth. Oh, oh, I know it's gross, isn't it? Newkirk has revealed that this was her first on-screen kiss. Um, But it didn't go exactly to plan as England's Freddie dentures fell into her mouth when he kissed her, which is fucking gross, right? That's not nice. It's not nice at all. Um, England wasn't originally behind the project. So England admitted that he was worn out from his other acting gigs and didn't really like the idea that was presented for Nightmare on Elm Street 4. However, the director, Rennie Harlan, won in England over uh, and the others as well uh, after the first cut footage was put together. After that, England described the film as the MTV Nightmare, calling the film energetic and kinetic. Oh, I feel like that's probably the money talking. Yeah, I, I, I think I, <laughs> I think he was one round not by the first cut of the movie, but by the first check he was. Yeah, out. they were like, they're like, oh, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And like, while they're watching the first cut, somebody slides in that check, and he's just like, oh, bloody love it. <laughs> it's great. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well, I'm in. And then the third uh, fact that I've got is England's favourite scene is in part four. So the scene comes after Alice leaves the Crave Inn and rushes to Dan's car. Alice tells Dan she's going to drive before they get in the car and drive off. The scene repeats a couple of times before Dan realises that they are dreaming since the same sequence is happening over and over again. England has stated that this is his favourite scene in the entire franchise because of how well the scene captures what a dream looks and feels like. And that's exactly what you were saying earlier. And, um, and, and, and yeah, we've both touched on it, but yeah, that we, I really like that scene and you quite rightly said it, it, it's that realism, isn't it? That that is actually dreams that people have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I like that. Yeah. And, and that was, that's, you know, that's a real sort of scary part of it. What have you got for, for your three facts? Um, so New Line approached Wes Craven for this um, and they offered him to direct and he turned them down after seeing the script. Um, they then said to him, well, that's fine. If you don't like the script, you can rewrite it and then direct it. And Wes Craven <laughs> turned them down again and said, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to do it, uh, which I, I think's a little bit crazy that Wes Craven wasn't interested. He wasn't yeah. in for this. I just think it's weird. Yeah, just... well, because obviously, you know, in the meantime... He, I mean, he's always been making films, hasn't he? It's just, yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, Wes just likes to do what he wants. Uh, and I don't think there's any shame in it, but I'm with you. It's weird that he maybe didn't want to come back for something that he created and wanted to set that on the right path again, possibly. Yeah, which I, I just found it odd. I mean, one of the other things they'd done to try and entice him back um, is when they wrote the script, uh, the uh, diner that Alice works in is called the Crave Inn. Oh. Where's Crave Inn? Ah, oh, of course. Yeah. See, I've even uh, said it earlier and I didn't clock onto it. So I didn't think about that. So, uh, And that was something they deliberately put in there as almost like a lure to try and get Wes Craven to bite. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we've made, we've made the diner after you and everything. you you got to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's a good one. I like that because uh, I honestly didn't know or, or even even think about that one. So, well, there you go. That's 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 the four. 
Oh, I've got one more. Oh, yeah, go, oh, yeah you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah, on. I've got one more. Uh, final one. Nice, short, easy one. Yeah. Uh, you said that he, this contains Robert England's favourite scene. This is also Robert England's favourite movie in the franchise, saying it was the most fun for him to film. Oh, OK. Yeah, see, see, this is the thing with Robert England. He's thinking about how it was the film, not how the film came out. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, I mean, once again, that's interesting, isn't it? Because... Uh, the process was so different for the viewer, you know, for him to film rather than the viewers. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I dislike this film or where it's going to rank. We, you know, we do that, but it's interesting, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's made his money. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, done his, all right, he? he's done all right. He's done all right. Well, there we go. So there's, that's your three, isn't it? Is that three? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, three, you've done yeah, your yeah, three. yeah. So, I mean, there we go. We, we've, we've done the four first films of the series of Nightmare on Elm Street. What a journey it's, it's been to watch those four. We've we've obviously already watched the others and, and we've written our notes down and everything. So we've got more to bring everyone. But I hope that everybody's uh, enjoyed it. I hope that everybody's enjoyed our run through. It's been a little bit different to how we normally do the show. But I wanted to do something different and bring everybody something special for the Halloween season, October, the best time of the year, as I said at the start. So we, we did it. But now I want you to to promote yourself. I want you to sell yourself, sell your soul to the to the podcast. Lords. Uh, OK, this is the bit where I haul myself out. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Um, so we've got a show called the You Run Podcast. In fact, we've got three shows, four shows called the You Run Podcast. Yeah. Uh, we've got our our YouTube channel uh, where we review horror movies. We have guests on. We play silly games like we just done one called um, it was for a quiet place too, uh, where you can't speak. And then I tell some really bad gags and they try not to speak, but they've got a mouthful of water. So they inevitably spit water all over their screen, which is quite funny. Um, <laughs> we've got True Crime. Uh, which is currently still sat at number one on Samsung Podcasts in the true crime category, uh, where me and my co-host Heather, we pull apart true crime cases. I hate true crime. She loves it. It's <laughs> an interesting dynamic. Uh, we've got a horror movie review, uh, which is me and my co-host Mark, uh, where we talk about horror movies, we review horror movies, and then we've got horror movie news, which is straight after. Um, and that's where we leave the mics running and it's basically me and Mark. We bitch about our lives, bitch about our wives and drink some <laughs> beer is basically the gist of that show. Um, the thing with all of our shows is they are run and controlled by the listeners. So you pick the movies, you give reviews, you give scores, you you basically do everything. And I just claim all the glory for it. So that's kind of how <laughs> the show works. Um, we're available everywhere. Uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this, you can find us. Give us a go. We're we're mildly entertaining, uh, mildly offensive. So if you like that kind of thing, that's that's what we bring you. Well, there you go. I mean, look, everyone should be going to listen to your show, um, and and uh, the, the millions of shows that you've got. This this is this is the world now, isn't it? And uh, people people like us, creative people, are doing stuff, and uh, and all we can do is hope that everybody goes and supports stuff that we do, rate it, review it. It, you know that sort of stuff helps massively yeah um does. you know if you enjoy stuff not just what i do not just what scott does if you enjoy what you're listening to or watching wherever it is you know it's so important to to share that on and uh to, to say to rate and review because it's insane how important it is because uh obviously we get something from it 
by going, oh, somebody likes the show. But also somebody else turns around and looks at it and then goes, oh, loads of people like this show. I might like it as well. I want to watch it. I want to listen yeah. to it. And uh, and that's it. So I, I hope that after, you know, listening to part one I of this, hopefully everybody does that uh, for you. Not that you need it because uh, you don't need my help to get loads of people. <laughs> no, 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 I, I do. I need, I need everybody's help. So, yeah, like like and share it, please. That's uh, it. Review it. That helps. It helps Absolutely. Yeah. Review reviews are, are really worth their weight in gold for all of us lot. They really are. Well, look, Scott, we, we did it. We got through the the first four that we've spoken about yeah um, I, th- these are the easier four as well the yes. next ones are going to be more yeah they're going to be that's it i mean either way uh they're going to be complicated they're going to be fun to talk about yeah. and the good part about the second part is that we actually get to give you all our rankings which i'm well excited about to see how much how different they're going to be um, and then we get to share our our thoughts on on this iconic franchise um, that's been you know been around for so long and beloved by so many people. And uh, I know when you messaged me uh, about coming on on the show for this, and you said about how much you loved the series and that, and uh, that was really important for me to get the right person on this special uh, i've never done anything like this before where i've done two episodes i've never gone really outside of the structure of what i do so thank you for for being on this one and coming along on this ride with me yeah um, so I've, had, thank I've, you. I've had great fun doing it and it's good to and it was important for me to share that experience with somebody who who genuinely loves the series and and loves to talk about them and uh, i know you could be on my show today talking about it. And I know you could be on somebody else's show tomorrow and talk about the same thing. So uh, it, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking to you uh, on, on this part one and uh, yeah. part two, part two's coming. So yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I'm honored that you chose me because I do love this franchise. I uh, yeah, really do. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I, do you know what? I'm honored that you you've come on. Um, you know, we've uh, we've been around for a bit in this podcast game uh, now, you know, not not for like 20 years or so, but we've been we've been going, we've been doing it. And um, I, I think uh, I think people are enjoying what we do. And I, well, I hope yeah. they're enjoying what we do. And uh, and if they are and if they've listened to this episode, you're going to bloody love part two. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, listen, all I can do is say thank you to 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 scott i hope all of you do exactly what i've said and go and check everything out and i like to end it as i always do in asking everyone to stay creepy see you in part two see you later <laughs>